Luxury is meant to be livable. Discover the new leather collection at Ashley with premium quality leather sofas, recliners, and more, all built to last. No matter how many spills, scuffs, or pet-related mishaps come its way, the leather collection at Ashley is made with the durability you need for the whole family. Shop the new leather collection at Ashley and find chairs starting at $499.99 and sofas for $599.99. Ashley, for the love of home. Are you the type of person who loves to treat yourself? You know, sometimes you just want to buy yourself a coffee, a fancy coffee. Sometimes you want to get a little extra legroom on the plane. You know what I mean? So if you ever treat yourself to the top options, other places like that, then why are we settling when we're finding a doctor? I know it's easy to fall into that rut, but your health is so important. Enter ZocTalk. ZocTalk is a place where you can find and book tens of thousands of top tier doctors, all with verified patient reviews. ZocTalk is a free app and website where you can search and compare highly rated in-network doctors near you and instantly book appointments with them online. There's no more waiting awkwardly on hold with a receptionist. You know we hate that. And these doctors all have verified reviews from actual real patients. You can filter specifically for ones who take your insurance, which is so helpful. You can see who's located near you and who's available and who can treat basically any condition you're searching for. Plus, a typical wait time to see a doctor booked on ZocDoc is between just 24 to 72 hours. That's it. You can even score same-day appointments. When I moved to LA years ago, I discovered ZocDoc because I was so tired of having to call all these different offices and wait. It took hours sometimes to figure out which doctor in town could help me and which one took my insurance, but not anymore with ZocDoc. I was able to find everything from a psychiatrist to a GI doctor, and I did that all through ZocDoc. And the app has only gotten better over time. I still use it. I still love it. I always recommend it to people, whether you have phone anxiety like me or not. It couldn't get easier to find a doctor with ZocDoc. Go to ZocDoc.com slash drink and download the ZocDoc app for free. Then find and book a top-rated doctor today. That's Z-O-C-D-O-C dot com slash drink. ZocDoc dot com slash drink. Okay. You guys, I lost my bottle opener. Oh, no, I found it. Don't worry. I found it. Okay. You couldn't find your headphones, but you had your bottle opener. Got it. <laughs> well, obviously, I have priorities. And I guess uh, I guess this is the episode, huh? Welcome, everyone. Welcome. How is everyone doing? <laughs> oh, my goodness. Ugh. You guys, I'm so sweaty. I just had to witness this disaster. I was running up and down three flights of steps over and over looking for my headphones. And then when Em and I were just recording ads just now, Blaze like walked up with them and was like, here, where the hell were they? I ran out into the road and screamed, Blaze, look in the trunk. And I was very late to the recording. So I apologize, Em. So uh, before we get started today, we have a few things we want to announce. So the first one is that, um, well, I guess, does this come out? the this This sunday Sunday. so okay so we can still announce our live show yay so if you did not listen to our um our episode last week we are having a birthday benefit show for covid relief and so it's going to be on zoom and you can find i know there's a bit.ly link um that's like atwwd b-day bash but you can also find that in our instagram bio on and that's why we drink podcast um and we're going to be hosting a virtual live show. I know I'm we've so been excited. We've been super antsy about like getting to perform for you guys again. And in case you were wondering, this has nothing to do with the Here for the Booze tour. So if you have tickets to that, this is not taking it's away not from a that spoiler. experience. Yeah. Um, but we're just, it's basically going to be doing live notes that we have never done before. I don't know Christine's story. She doesn't know mine. And 
It's going to be a, a birthday thing because it's June 5th. A bananas um, bonanza. <laughs> bananas bonanza. <laughs> it's June 5th, so the day after both of our birthdays. And it's going to be at 5 Pacific, 8 Eastern. And if you have access to Zoom and $10 to donate, then it is going to go to a great cause. And yeah, uh, we're going to have fun. It's great. We're uh, 100% of proceeds <clears throat> go to Coalition for the Homeless. Um, and we just wanted to do a little bit to support the relief efforts going on and also, you know, include you guys in something fun since we feel really bad that our tours being postponed and, you know, we're really bummed. So yeah, I'm really excited. It's going to be super fun. Yeah. So that, uh, that's like, I guess the, the big, and that's why we drink news, but Mm -hmm. we do have some other news that. (laughs) Oh, that's a good one. Was that your first time? With the wine? Right here? With where you are? Oh, no. <laughs> so, okay. So <clears throat> I'll, I'll start it off. So we you do start have, it off. We do have some big news to announce. <laughs> and we are feeling a little guilty that we haven't shared it publicly with you because this has been something that's been going on since probably, oh, sorry, the, the motorcycle. Uh, well, that's feeling, me. I was just driving by to say hello. <laughs> <laughs> uh, this is something that's been going on in our private lives since January-ish. January, mm-hmm. February. Yeah, like February-ish. Um, and so I guess some there's been a big life event. No, it is no one is pregnant. I mean, uh, you just heard me open a bottle of wine, so hopefully not. Um, and no, I'm not engaged or anything like that. But <laughs> they're uh, like, then what else could it be? That's the only two possible exciting things. But so there were a few reasons we decided to kind of do this um, to have Should it. Should I all... say what it is or no? I'll, I'll preface it with that. Okay. Like, okay. Um, I have a whole speech plan, too, for when you're done. Okay, cool. So we decided that we were going to kind of keep it hush-hush, not to keep anyone in the dark intentionally, but just because it was kind of a a big life event, specifically for Christine and also for the podcast. Um, We had to make a couple business decisions about it, and uh, we just wanted to make sure that when we told you, we had all the answers for you. So I that's the only reason that you haven't heard about it. We wanted to make sure that everything went smoothly before we announced anything. So take yes. it away, Christine. Okay. Big news is that Blaze and I have moved back to Cincinnati, or at least we bought a house here. And um, we arrived yesterday or the day before yesterday, and it's just been a chaotic week. But I will say, like, in, in addition, what I've said was true, but like, also in addition to that, um, because this, dis- we made this decision like right before COVID hit. And so Blaze and I were very careful about like, even telling people we knew because we weren't sure if, you know, we put in an offer on a house in March, like the week before quarantine hit. And we were like, we don't know if it's going to fall through or if the sellers are going to like even come through with this or whatever. So we really like even for people in our own lives, kept it pretty quiet. But we are officially in our house and we are in Cincinnati. And I plan on coming back to L.A. like monthly at least to to record with them when quarantine lifts and also, you know, any meetings and things like that. So it's not going to seem very different, I guess, day to day for you guys. Um, but I, uh, yeah, so that's the news. And, um, I've been like, so I'm so curious if anyone had any like inklings, but because nobody, not one person has like mentioned it or messaged me or like noticed that I was moving out of my old house. Which um, I think is what, like what we kind of wanted to at yes. first, cause we didn't want to cause any uh, personally, like at least podcast wise, we were afraid that if people knew that you were leaving, people would start freaking out and think that the show exactly. was going to change or the format was going to be different. But I'll say one big business decision that we made together, which is kind of exciting and I guess not really come into uh, full effect yet because of COVID. But when Christine pulled me aside and said, so, you know, Blaze got a job. I 
we've been looking at houses and we're probably going to be moving. We decided together that since we'd always been recording in Christine's house and she's not going to be there anymore, we got an apartment together. (laughs) This is the most Evan Christine bullshit ever. We're like, we need our own apartment. We live together, sort of. (laughs) We do. We both (laughs) moved in. We both co-signed a, a uh, an apartment Elise. together. How cute! At, that's um, in Los Angeles, and so, uh, like Christine said, I I think we're thinking like a a week every month. She's going to be commuting out here, and it's a full apartment, not just a, a studio, but it's also got a bedroom and a bathroom and everything to it. So Christine will have a place to live out here instead of having to like camp out right. a quarter of her life in hotels, and she'll already be at this apartment that we are slowly turning into a studio. So that way we mm-hmm. can actually uh, film our YouTube show again and like actually really build that content like we've been planning, but COVID got in the way. And and I will so. say too, I think one um, thing like we noticed too, was that while we were, you know, social distancing and we were recording remotely, that was kind of a good test of like, okay, well this actually works. Cause we were in LA, right. both of us 12 miles apart and we still had to do it remotely. And so that was kind of a good test run to be like, okay, we can pull that off. Um, and so now we're doing that, but I'm just in a different time zone. I will say <laughs> I have two. Okay, I have two, uh, two funny stories. So, first of all, nobody like we drove across country. This has like been a long ass week. It took us like five and a half days. We drove from LA to Cincinnati this week, and um, like nobody seemed to notice. I didn't post anything, but like you know, nobody was like wondering or suspicious or anything. And then today, like two hours, like our movers were here and. I decided I was going to order beer on Drizzly. <laughs> so I ordered beer and and wine and 19 Crimes, which is actually the one you just heard me open. And um, the movers were there and Blaze went to go pick it up from the front door. Somebody knocked and I just hear, your name's Blaze? Does your wife happen to host a podcast? Oh, and no, I went, it's oh already happening. <laughs> and I like stuck my head around and their name was Holly and they go, holy shit. And they're like, what are you doing here? And I was like, I know this is probably extremely jarring that you're just like working. <laughs> and then all of a sudden I just like appear in front of you. So, I was so like, wait, so someone already knows where you live, like what you're correct. What they watched the okay. movers. <laughs> like, move my I son. was literally going to say, like, maybe this time, this is your third place since the podcast started. Do not triangulate where you live at but all. I and ordered now- a bunch of wine to my house. That was my own damn fault. And they were like, <laughs> they literally handed off my 19 crimes. They were like, are you Christine? And I was like, oh, shit. Um, and they were like, oh, I live like right down the street and then told me all the cool bars in the area. So I was like, oh, my God. Amazing. Maybe you found your first friend. Did you tell Holly, please don't tell anyone where I live? I did. Well, I was like, oh, yeah, we haven't announced it yet. And they were like. I will not say a word. <laughs> You're my favorite. Um, I've and had that, to. Oh, oh, go ahead. Sorry. I was just going to say, also, we just did that Instagram live stream and I was like here and I wanted to wait till the podcast to announce it. And um, Blaze had gotten, was ordering food and you were like, oh, what did, uh, and I was ignoring all the questions that were like, what did you order? Because it was Skyline. And I was like, oh God, I got to come up with like a fake oh. restaurant. And so you were like, oh, what did you order? And I was like, sandwich. <laughs> I, I see what another happened. food. So I just went, I sandwich. I thought you gave it away for sure, though, in the Instagram live, because at the end you went, oh, it's seven. It's time to go. <laughs> and <laughs> I didn't I was, even notice that. I very quickly went, yep, time to go. Goodbye. Went, oh, oh, shit. I was such an idiot. <laughs> yeah. And somebody actually commented, oh, Christine has that 3 p.m. glow. I was like, nah, <laughs> it's six. <laughs> anyway, so this is like, I mean, we've been working, you know, it's it's all good. Everything's ironed out. We're here. Um, Emma and I have just been going on life as normal and doing all our meetings and stuff and nothing's changed that much. Um, but we, all, I'm just we also had to, had to fib during the Instagram live because someone asked when the last time we saw each other was. 
And oh, I, that's true, um. I had to, I had to fib because I couldn't tell anyone yet, but <laughs> I went over to say goodbye to Christine and specifically yeah. Gio because Aww. that was, uh, the that was saddest the part, part of this was yeah. I'm now going to be seeing Gio whenever we perform in Cincinnati and that's about <laughs> it. But, uh, I at least have his number. So we'll still be talking behind your back. Like it's more, okay. more often probably. Yeah. Oh yeah. We're definitely going to be like, what's it like there? And he's going to be like, it's pretty rough. You got to get <laughs> rough. Um, yeah. So no, that's true. M did come over. We did a social distancing goodbye in my backyard with masks on. Um, I also like, I got a camera and attempted to vlog the whole drive across only across the country only because before the drive, I kept looking up YouTube, like other people who've driven across the country with a cat and a dog because I was just like how do people do this and I was so nervous and I like couldn't find anyone who had posted a video like that so I was like I'm just gonna post a video about like driving cross country with a dog and a cat because I tell you it was speaking of rough yeah it was very rough um (laughs) and so I have M's visit on camera and everything and M and Eva surprised me when I was leaving and yeah it was very lovely and touching So anyway, um, we hope no one is upset at all that, yes. you know, we kept this as this a secret. This was not but- meant to be like a secret. It was more just like we were trying to cover all our bases before we like launched information at you and didn't have yeah. the answers ourselves. We didn't want people freaking out that like the show was over or anything. But yes, we've got, no. we still have a studio out here now. It's much nicer. No offense, mm-hmm. Christine, to the mm-hmm. one room we it had. It has air now. conditioner. It has an air conditioner. We have a whole apartment. It's dog friendly in case Christy never wants to fly Geo out. I know. Um, <laughs> Only if he bought me a first class ticket so he has enough room to lay down. Well, it also works out now because Eva and I also have like an office space, which That's like true. her and I had both talked before about how we would get stir crazy working in the house. And now we've got a place to drive to. Yeah. It's near a Starbucks. I'm very excited about that. Yeah. So, and pick the location. So <laughs> I did. Eva and I, we went to go look for they were, like, the apartment. Hunting. We did. We went house hunting. And Christine, I sent Christine like 20 pictures of this place, like a video tour of it to be like, are you in or out? Or should I keep looking? And apparently the pictures never went through. No. She just got the text. And she was like, I'm in. And I was like, you don't yeah, know what you were like, wait, like. so you didn't get any photos? I was like, nah, I trust you. It's very nice. Because I know you're, you're not going to pick a place without air conditioning. So I was like, I trust you. That's the truth. And I mean, to be fair too, like I'm really excited about this next like phase of the podcast. Cause like also have you thought about this, but like a lot of people like love when our banter sounds fresh and new. And now like every time time we record now, it's going to be like best friends seeing each other after a whole month. It's like we're so much to laugh about. I know it's true. And I think that's part of like doing these uh, like remotely in the past couple months anyway, has been like a nice look into like, oh, well, like we don't see each other every second anymore. And so it is like, hey, I don't actually know what you've been doing for the last three days. Anyway, everything is peachy keen. It's perfect. It's fun. And it's, it's good news only. And a lot of people who like I know, or who I've met, like even Holly was just like, why did you move? Like, I know a lot of people are going to ask and it was just, um, Nothing in particular except Blaze and I were, you know, ready to buy a house together. And I really was always hoping to move back closer to my family. But I thought writing TV, I was like, I'll never be able to leave LA. And so now that we kind of have a career that is so I'm basically dependent on the podcast. So it's not going anywhere because I'm like, the only <laughs> reason I write and subscribe yeah, to exactly <laughs> and help me afford my mortgage. Um, no, <laughs> no yeah, the only reason I was like able to move is because we were are able to build a career in, you know, podcasting. So I'm very fortunate about that and feel very lucky. And we're closer to Blaze's family and they're visiting in July and 
closer to my family. I've already seen my sister a few times. So that's, I mean, that's why nothing really that exciting, except we just wanted to be closer to family. So she, and just, by house. We, we actually are enemies and she needed to get away. So she just moved totally across <gasps> the other side of the country. But we hit it so well, right? <laughs> and we did. That's the real secret. No, uh, but no. And also I, in case people are wondering, I have no plans to do anything. I am very set in my ways here. Poor so. Em is just like, Christine like, cannot calm the fuck down. I'm just always like, hmm, I'll get another animal. I'll uh, <laughs> I'll just fly to another well, country when, and get when this Christine back told me, When Christine told me, she was like, so I have something to say. And I was like, are you breaking up with me? Like, <laughs> oh, is, no. It was like such an intense conversation. I was like, we're going to be fine, homie. Like, we're Everyone, good. Don't I was worry. so nervous. You were the person I was most nervous to tell. So I was like, I don't want you to think anything's changing. But also, basically, any when I said, hey, I have something, they go, are you pregnant? And I'm like, I'm literally drinking with you right now. Like, no, <laughs> mom, I'm not pregnant. <laughs> so that is not the news, um, hopefully anyway, because this wine's very good. So anyway, that's my update. Sorry to like take up the entire intro, but we wanted to make sure. No. And my other reason for like saying it now too, I was like, I don't want to run around and have people be like, what the hell is Christine doing here? And then people being like, is she just not saying something or I don't know. So out in the open, everything's transparent. And um I have a central air now, so my life is very good. Yeah, that's why we're talking for so long, because now Christine isn't sweating as we yes. discuss anything. Only a little bit, because I had to run around the house, my MTS house, and find my headphones, but we did it. Well, anyway, Ooh. that's the news. Hopefully, you guys are hanging in there and happy about it, because I'm very stoked about this. It's too... Oh, ding. Sorry, just um, getting some wine. <laughs> okay, so anyway, now that that's... All said and Out done, the way. clearly the podcast is still on the up and up and we are doing good. So I'm going to uh, circle back for the like third or fourth week in a fucking row about okay. Harry Price. I have one more piece of information and it's that I literally can't stop thinking about Jeff. It's all I think about every day. <laughs> I like Jeff is, I think, my favorite story you've covered. I just can't stop you thinking about him. last week too. You I know. That- I'm still really thinking good- about him. <laughs> you know, he's a doozy. I'm going to say he's a real... Uh, diamond in the rough. Um, yes. Diamond in the wall, sort of. I mean, who's... I'm going to take a stab in the dark and say that he's probably... That's probably not a real thing that happened. That <laughs> I don't think Jeff entirely ever existed. But I like to think in our hearts, he's like the mascot. He's of he like, is. what's out there? Who knows? Ugh, I'm just so fond of him. And um, <laughs> that's all. And it's Gemini season. I just I just wanted to put that out there. That's all. It's happy Jeff season. It's Jeff season. Oh my it's gosh. Does our next episode come out after our birthdays? No, no, this is the first comes out on the first. This is the last one where we're No, sorry. That's what I mean. Is this is the next one? Our next one's mm, gonna come out after the next our one birthdays. does. Yeah. Okay, you're right, you're right, you're right. Yeah. This Phew. one though, this is the last time I'm twenty seven and you're twenty eight. <gasps> what is it like? I don't know. You tell me. <laughs> I mean, listen, I have central air. I don't even care about anything else, so I'm happy. Well, I uh I'm very excited that uh you're turning 29 and i'm not i guess is what i'm gonna say but <laughs> do you I'm 30 do you realize when we started this i we were 23 and 24 really that can't be right no i was 25 no i, I wasn't it our first cake together was 245 or was it 256 no it's 256 okay so i was 24 and you were 25 yes although this is the last time we could have a cake together maybe i'll get a carvel cake for our uh live show and it'll say it'll say two eight nine, but it's oh, but it's coming here, right? I uh, no, I'm just gonna eat it. <laughs> okay. Remember the last time when you dropped a whole fucking Carvel cake on my face? <laughs> I I'm gonna eat this one now because oh I deserve it. I felt I don't feel bad about it. 
for those of you who don't know what the 289 thing is, what the Christine and I had our first birthday together, she got me a Carvel cake. And because she was torn, turning 26 and I was turning 25, she put 256 on the cake. So you could almost put a slash <laughs> through the five and the six. I don't know and why we, I did that. <laughs> we both celebrate. Anyway, I think since this is the last time we can do that, I'll, I'll probably try to make one for you. I remember you being like, what is 256? I was like, I actually don't remember. Why I hadn't I learned your your craziness yet. My, now, like, the way my brain <laughs> doesn't work. Now I've that. embraced it. Okay. <laughs> so anyway, happy 289 for you. And Fet Oh, 20. to you too. Explore new possibilities, pleasure zones, and find your vibe at funlove.com. Funlove.com is a leading online retailer of sensual health and wellness products, offering a wide array of premier brands of toys, lingerie, and accessories. I know I've talked about it before, but we received the most lovely gift basket from Funlove. First of all, I didn't know what it was at first, and then when I pulled out a vibrator, I thought, oh boy, this is not your everyday fruit basket. There was everything, I'm telling you, from sexy perfumes to toys to vibrators to lube. I mean, I gotta say, it's like a one-stop shop, okay? If you go to funlove.com and you're looking for maybe a romantic evening, either with a loved one or with yourself they've got what you're looking for i can promise you so what are you waiting for explore discover indulge and make love fun by visiting funlove.com and if you live in arizona or colorado check out one of their 18 store locations hey maybe i'll stop by when i'm in town and for a limited time you can save 30 percent off your first order when you use the code drink at funlove.com head to funlove.com today and use code drink at checkout to save 30 percent off your first order visit funlove.com today And that's why We Drink is sponsored by Squarespace. Squarespace is the all-in-one website platform for entrepreneurs to stand out and succeed online. With Squarespace, it's easy to create a beautiful website all on your terms. You don't want to miss Fluid Engine, a next-generation website design system from Squarespace with reimagined drag-and-drop technology for desktop or mobile. I don't know this for a fact, but it's my opinion that there is no easier way to build a website than Squarespace because of this drag-and-drop technology. It gets better every year, and it is just, you when you think it can't get any better and easier, it does. I've been using Squarespace <laughs> since 2017. Um, And in that time, they have just proven themselves to be the best and easiest way to make a website. So anytime I make a website for any reason, that's where I go. When you're ready to get started, you can use one of Squarespace's professional website templates with designs for every category, and then you can customize it. You can customize the look, add new content, add features to fit your unique needs. It's just a great spot to have a landing page for you, for your business, for whatever it is you're trying to market or showcase. Squarespace is the best platform to use, in my opinion. Head to squarespace.com for a free trial. And when you're ready to launch, go to squarespace.com slash drink to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. It feels very fitting that Juniper is currently sitting on my lap uh, because we all want our cats to be healthy and happy because when they're happy, we're happy. But because we're not mind readers, we don't always know when they're unwell. And in my experience, cats are not the most, you know, open when it comes to sharing their woes. And there goes Junie, literally jumped right off me. So helping us keep tabs on our cat's health is just one reason you should use Pretty Litter. Pretty Litter's ultra absorbent crystals trap odor instantly. No more cat bathroom smell, thank God. Pretty Litter's super light crystal base also minimizes mess and dust. Plus, the crystals last up to a month, which means less scooping and fewer trips to the garbage can for Blaze, because that's his job. Here's the coolest thing about Pretty Litter. It changes colors to help monitor early signs of potential illness in our cats, including urinary tract infections and kidney issues. And Pretty Litter ships free right to your door in a small, lightweight bag. Pretty Litter 
has changed the game. The litter box is right near Leona's room, and so it is very delightful to not have that litter smell all the time when she's taking a nap. Plus, we can rest easy knowing that Juniper and his little kidneys are healthy. Pretty Litter helps keep tabs on my cat's health and keeps odors down. You and your cat are going to love Pretty Litter as much as we do. Go to prettylitter.com slash ATWWD and use code ATWWD to save 20% on your first order. That's prettylitter.com slash ATWWD, code ATWWD to save 20%. prettylitter.com slash ATWWD, code ATWWD. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. This episode is brought to you by Progressive, where drivers who save by switching save nearly $750 on average. Plus, auto customers qualify for an average of seven discounts. Quote now at Progressive.com to see if you could save. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. National average 12-month savings of $744 by new customers surveyed who saved with Progressive between June 2022 and May 2023. Potential savings will vary. Discounts not available in all states and situations. So this is, I promise, uh, next week I will have a different story. This is the last time I'm going to talk about Harry Price for a while. I promise. Um, But if you have not listened to the last two episodes, you should because they're fucking doozies. They've been so good. I love them. Basically, Harry Price is the original ghost hunter. And he was around in the early 1900s. And he was the first person to build a lab specifically for psychical research. Um, He was the... I mean, he really was the very first celebrity ghost hunter. He would do broadcasts on the radio when he was in haunted houses, things like that. And he was known for really sensational stories back in the day. One of them being Jeff the Talking Mongoose from last week. (laughs) One of the other ones that he's really well known for, well, one of the, the, probably the biggest one he's known for is the Borley Rectory, which I covered, I think, in episode 65. Um, And I plan to revisit it now knowing what I know about Harry Price. Um, but the story I'm covering today is another one of the most popular stories he ever, ever covered. And that is the seance of Rosalie. Ooh, what? Okay. So this one, um, is pretty, it can get really lengthy. So I'm going to try to speed through some of the beginning part of it. Um, just to make sure that I get as much information out as I can as possible, but there's a lot to it and I'll try to keep it entertaining as an entertainer. Better. Excuse me. Okay, so I'm going to start out with a quote from Harry Price about this case. So basically, he saw he was part of the seance. The next day, it freaked him out. And he wrote this massive account about what happened. And so in that account, um, this is the first sentence of it. So I'm just going to start off with the quote from his report. I must describe the most remarkable case of materialization or rather alleged materialization I have ever witnessed. It is with considerable hesitation that I publish this account as I've only had one sitting and have been unable as yet to obtain independent corroboration of the extraordinary phenomenon, which I witnessed. Okay. So we're starting heavy on this one. But <laughs> yes, <laughs> so he, this started, um, and just to give you guys a sense of where my notes came from, most of this came from his actual Ooh. entire account. This most of, I would say 90% of my notes came from his account of this a primary and source a primary source literally written by him is where yeah. i got most of this at least the first half of the story so <clears throat> okay excuse me so we start in 1937 and uh december 13th apparently i always mix it up with harry potter because i wrote him everywhere is hp <laughs> so i always keep thinking that harry potter is saying these things um so december 1930 December 1937, 
uh, Harry Price uh, wrote in this account that that was the day that a woman uh, wrote to him and basically said, uh, or how do I say this? Okay, so we're going to call her Mrs. X, which is what he also called her. Oh. Just to start this early. So Mysterious. Mrs. X uh, called uh, Harry Price uh, and basically said that she had read one of his interviews that he had done on Haunted Houses. And she was very impressed that he always wants to, quote, ascertain the truth and that she had uh, a proposition for him because she could, quote, guarantee him a ghost. Oh, okay. So she said that every Wednesday at her house, her and her family had a seance for a little girl named Rosalie. Um, and apparently she always showed. So Mrs. X wanted to invite Harry Price, um, to join one of the seances. But if he said yes, there were conditions he must follow. And there were no signing of documents. It was more of a gentleman's agreement that he would cater to this. So here were the conditions if he said yes. He could never reveal the identity of the sitters in the seance or the location, um, he could write about it as an account, but he can never mention who they were, which is why he called her Mrs. X. Got it. Um, he could not perform any formal experimental tests during the seance or bring any equipment um, in advance to do uh, in experiments mid seance. Um, the mother of Rosalie always attended these seances and she was afraid that uh him being there or doing some sort of scientific experiments would quote terrify the girl. And so she wouldn't show. Oh yeah. So basically one of the conditions was you can't do things in the middle of the seance. You kind of have to sit there and shut up and just watch what happens. Otherwise you're going to scare her away and then you won't see any ghosts. So kind of already shady. Mm. Um, and that being said, even though he wasn't allowed to do anything during the seance, he was allowed full control of the entire house and the participants of the seance before and after the seance. Oh. So he could investigate the house, the, the seance room, the windows, the doors. He could mess with the furniture. He could check floorboards. He could check, you know, wall decor. Um, he could check the their electronics. He could sprinkle powder and, like, starch anywhere he wanted. He could place machines near entrances. He could do whatever he wanted as long as it was before the seance began and after the seance ended. Okay. Um, <clears throat> so he could also uh, study every individual sitter or a participant in the seance, again, before and after. But once the sitting happened, he couldn't do anything, and he had to ask permission if he wanted to make any alterations during the seance. Um, and <clears throat> let's see. Uh, so... Uh, Harry Price wrote back saying that he was very interested, uh, even given the conditions, and he would have to think it over. But eventually, the same day, he basically said, yes, I want to come. But can my partner, um, Rex Lambert, if you remember him from Jeff mm -hmm. the Talking Mongoose, uh, if you haven't listened to that episode yet, Rex was kind of one of his main uh, people that accompanied him on investigations. He said, would it be okay if Rex came with me? And she never responded. So he assumed no and just went by himself. So he gets to the location. He does not, he's kind of sneaky and an asshole because he doesn't ever say the exact location, but he writes about it in like unbelievable detail. Like oh. writes about it, like how many stone steps led up to the left side and how many windows <laughs> were on the right side and how many garden windows there were and how, what the door color was and the buildings surrounding it. Like basically if you just walked through a neighbor. Absolutely. Like what I'm going to do with my house. 
like like Holly from Drizzly is going to probably do. So <laughs> no, Holly's like, y- listen, you're on your own. You're it's you're at fault. It's my <laughs> you fault. You chose this. I trust you, Holly. <clears throat> so once he got there, this was two days later. Once he got there, Harry Price met the family, which was Mr. X, Mrs. X, and their 17-year-old daughter, who he called Miss X. Um, and so he had dinner with them. And uh, two more people ended up also showing for the seance that night. One of them was named Madame Z. Okay. Um, and she was a French woman who they became friends with through church. And uh, there's talk of this. This part was not in his own writings, but in future notes, I saw that Mr. X was allegedly in debt. So the family, they knew that Madame Z had money. And so there's talk that he was in debt and they were friends with her because she was helping pay off loans or something like that. Mm. Um, And then the other person who came was uh, this guy named Jim. And so talking about uh, Madame Z really quick. So she had some money and we knew that the ex family was in debt. So we don't know if she was helping them pay for anything. Um, But she was also a nurse. She had married a soldier who died in the Great War. And so she was widowed with their baby, Rosalie. Oh. So that's how Rosalie comes into this. So apparently Rosalie was always a really sick baby. um, And at six years old, died of diphtheria. And so Madame Z has been a believer ever since. And this was during the spiritualist movement. Um, And so... Basically, she was always looking to speak with Rosalie after she had passed on. The other person who I mentioned was a guy named Jim. Mm -hmm. Apparently, he was a young bank clerk. And from what Harry Price noted, it seemed like he was more interested in the 17-year-old daughter than the seance. Oh, God. (laughs) Jimothy. (laughs) Jimothy. Sounded like he was kind of there just to impress her, not so much for the seance. So, apparently, he was around 20 years old. So, in... Basically what happened, so it's those five people. It's all three of the X family, Jim and Madame Z, that, and that Harry Price had met. Got it. So apparently starting in the 1920s, Madame Z would wake up in the middle of the night and hear Rosalie's voice calling for Ooh, her saying, my. like, mommy, mommy. Oh, no. And this became a regular event to a point where Madame Z um, started seeing her outline and once even felt her <gasps> hand get touched by something in the middle of the night. Oh, shit. So she started going to her church and she became friends with the ex family and confided in them. And they suggested that they would start holding regular seances to encourage Rosalie to appear. Oh, my. Okay. Because if she was already that active. So they're they, like, I, lean into it. Exactly. And so there's talk that maybe Madame Z was paying for seance services in lieu of their debt. Oh, I see. Okay. Interesting. That, that's not confirmed, but it's a thought. So, I get it. Um, so they started doing these seances in 1928 and very quickly Rosalie began to speak. Um, she would show herself, albeit in complete darkness, but you could see again, a dim outline of her and she would touch Madame Z's hand. Oh my. Um, and when she would speak, it was mainly yes or no answers. Um, it was in a childlike lisp and, 
after Harry Price hears all this, he's like, okay, I know enough to kind of do my own investigation before the seance begins. So after dinner, he searches the house. He starts sealing any entrances or taping down windows. He's also initialing everything to make sure things don't get moved. Um, he removes different furniture and wall decor. Um, and he also like finds a way to seal off the chimney. 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 Oh, um, guys. Also, <laughs> chimney. Cricket. So oh, he also inspected wires, cabinets, drawers, dressers floorboards and uh he also checked the clothing of the sitters to make sure nobody had any like strings on them or anything and basically the way that they were circled i don't know if this matters but to people who are probably more visual if they want the idea Mm -hmm. so it was mr x sitting at the table then jim then miss x then madame z harry price and then mrs x so where's jimothy Jim is between the Mr. X and his dog. Oh, okay. Right. Next to, next to, but yeah, wink, wink. Mm-hmm. So, uh, Harry Price was then able, he tested in the dark that he could hear everyone's voice where they were sitting from and whose voice was whose. So if anyone mm. for some reason got up, he would be able to hear where they were. Right. And he also, um, so basically that was, that was his prep and Mr. X Uh, Once the lights were out for a couple minutes, Mr. X walks up and turns on the radio because apparently that drew Rosalie in because she liked the music. Then he turned it off, went back to the table, and then nobody spoke while they meditated for Rosalie to appear. So that's important later that he got up and turned the radio on and then turned it off and came back down. Sorry, which one of them did that? The husband, Mr. X. Oh, okay. He so because I thought that was interesting from the beginning as I was reading this that everyone is sitting in the dark yeah. during the seance and then he's already getting up and walking over to the radio. He's like, she then, likes music, <laughs> right? And Trust so then me. you'll you'll see. Yeah. So uh, yeah. So five minutes later, he turns it off and goes back to his seat. And soon, Madame Z starts calling out Rosalie's name. And at some point, Mrs. X uh, whispered to Harry and said, "Rosalie is here. Don't <gasps> speak." <gasps> I just got goose cam. <laughs> <laughs> so, and Harry did right. He was like, I felt something next to me and the smell in the room changed. Oh. And he said he started hearing the shuffling of feet and suddenly he felt something touch the back of his hand. Creepy. So he said that it felt really soft and warm, the, the touch to his hand. And he said nobody was actually holding hands at this point. So it's not like they were like something, you know. Sure. Like someone's thumb moved on his hand or anything. Right. Um, but then you could also argue that, like, okay, well, someone just reached over and touched your hand. True. Um, but so, so he said his hand was on his knee, and everyone's hands were on their own knees, and something touched his hand. Mm. And eventually, Mrs. X asked Madame Z if Harry could feel around for the spirit, like move his hands and feel for the spirit. Because <clears throat> if all of a sudden it had appeared, maybe he could like reach out and like grab her, feel something. So that being said, the next thing I'm going to say comes with a content warning. Oh, oh, okay. Because Uh it could be very controversial depending on Uh your perspective of things. So, and wait until the end to make your own decisions on this. I will say, first of all, I want to make sure that I say it the most politically correct way possible. Because I don't want to sound like I'm defending anybody 
Um, but the way that it was written, it appears as this, as if this was written scientifically and not erotically. Okay. 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 I'm just going to read the quote because I think um, trying to paraphrase it would either make it sound better or worse. So, yes, let's just hear the the <laughs> primary source and know that as I was reading this, I did read it as a matter of fact account and not so much a any other okay. intention. All right, I'm ready. Okay, so Mrs. X asked if Madame Z. Mrs. S- Mrs. X asked Madame Z if Harry could reach out and try to touch the spirit. Okay. Quote, and it's kind of long, but I wanted to do it justice. Permission was given, and I stretched out my left hand, and to my amazement, it came in contact with apparently the nude figure of a little girl aged oh six years. Oh, my. I know. That's that's the content warning here. Yep. I passed my hand up to her chin and cheeks. The flesh felt warm, not though not as warm as one would expect to find normal human flesh. I laid the back of my hand on her cheek and I could distinctly hear breathing. I then placed my hand on her chest again and I could feel the respiratory movements. There were, there were the normal limbs of a normal six-year-old girl. I estimated her height at about three feet, seven inches. There were no words to express how I felt at the appearance of the form before me, a supreme scientific interest with a feeling of absolute incredulity would best describe my reaction. I had not bargained for anything such as this, but if I had been tricked, then so had the mother because she could have not been acting. Because Madame Z this whole time is like sobbing, crying that her daughter in front of her. Oh my God, okay. Um, So if I had been tricked, then so had the mother, and that is unthinkable. Oh God. I was told that I could move my chair nearer to the child, and this I did. If it is a spirit, I argued to myself, then there is no difference between a spirit and a human being. With my right hand, I lifted Rosalie's right arm and felt her pulse. It appeared to be too quick, and I estimated a rate of 90 to the minute. I put my ear to her chest and could distinctly hear her heart beating. I then took both her hands and asked Mr. X, Miss X, and Jim to speak in order to prove their presence in their respective seats. Oh, smart. They did so, and I knew that Madame Z and Mrs. X were on either side of me, as I could just put my hands out to feel them next to me. So... I said all of that to make it clear that, like, I don't think he meant anything erotic by the fact that he was touching a naked six-year-old girl. I will say that if I were in a seance and I felt anyone naked, especially (laughs) a child, dead or alive, I would step away. And I don't want to defend, like, oh, this is the times because it was the 30s. Like, there's, I don't want to say that there was an excuse for this, but it sounds like he didn't. He said, I did not bargain for this. And it sounds like Mrs. X was giving this permission. So I don't think he was prepared for that. Yeah. So I don't know how to best. I mean, I wasn't prepared for that. So I guess he probably wasn't either. (laughs) I just want to make it clear. I don't think it was meant as a sexual assault whatsoever. No. But it, it did come off as very matter of fact that he was saying, like, felt like limbs. I was looking for her respiratory movements. Right. Blah, blah, blah. You can do what you want with that. I'm not. Claiming any either side of that, I just want to be as direct as possible. Mm-hmm. So, um, so after that, he was like, in summary, he was like, "I'm this is literally like a fucking human being that has materialized out yeah. of nowhere, and like I'm getting proof that like everyone that came into this room is still sitting in their seats, and nobody could have entered because I've sealed off all these entrances. How did this form show up? Like we're ignoring why the fuck is it a naked little girl, but." 
how did this being show up if they if nobody else came in here with yeah. us and he checked all the spots there was no way for someone to have been hiding to pop up later so the real question is what the fuck is going on in many ways and uh so apparently they had these mirrors that had some like glow in the dark paint for the time uh he was allowed to bring those in and they're basically little reflective panels so you could kind of see a light source through it um and so he asked Madame Z and the X family if he could use these small reflective panels to try to see Rosalie, like see her face and be like, "Is I'm, am I looking at a human being or a spirit or what's her face look like? And Madame Z said, yes, but you have to start at her feet and move upwards. Okay. So he started at the floor and he saw what looked like human feet. And as he moved the light upward, he saw more and more of a human body, but he did uh, right in his account that they quote looked older than her alleged years mm. so apparently this looked like an older this didn't look like a six-year-old right um harry did say that when he got to the face it was pale had dark eyes and a closed mouth and harry asked if he could ask her some questions he asked madame z can i ask your daughter some questions because apparently she did give yes or no answers sometimes um, Madame Z said she probably won't talk because you're a new person and she might be afraid of you, but you can ask and see what happens. Mm-hmm. So he wrote in his account, he was like, I didn't know what to ask. I just started asking <laughs> questions like, like things I would ask a normal child. Right. So he said, um, the questions, where do you live? What do you do there? Do you play with other children? Have you any toys and are there animals? And she didn't respond to any of those things. Oh, but I want to know so bad. Are there <laughs> animals? Um, <clears throat> apparently, Rosalie just stared into space the whole time. Okay. Like, just kind of catatonic, not paying attention. And then when he asked, do you love your mommy? Uh-oh. All of a sudden, her eyes lit up and in a lisp, she said yes. Oh, God. Um, oh, no. Oh, so, Mrs. X asked harry to put down the lights like she was like okay that's enough of that put the light sources away and we're gonna sit in silence in the dark room um and 15 minutes later he had been told that rosalie had departed from the space he was she was no longer there okay so after that he was told he could reinvestigate because he was allowed to look after the seance at the room and he saw all the seals were intact no furniture floorboards starch powder anything had been disturbed and he was incredibly freaked out. And he, within two hours had ran back to his home or wherever he was staying and wrote the entire account down while it was fresh in his mind. Um, So this is a quote at the end of it. He did say, quote, I'm still wondering if Rosalie was a genuine spirit entity or whether the whole thing was an elaborate hoax. Looking at it in retrospect, I can think of several things I ought to have done that I did not do. And one of these is taking Rosalie's fingerprints. Mm, um, smart. He said, I had ample opportunity, but no materials. And another thing I might have done was to have ascertained who the medium actually was because Madame, sure. Madame Z denied that she was a medium, but I can think of no one else. So apparently there was no medium during the seance, right. um, which is true. No one really seemed to be hosting it. People were just kind of announcing like, Rosalie's here. Now Rosalie's gone, you know? Yeah. And, um, and also Madame Z, who may not be a medium, but was the child's mother, was like kind of saying like, oh, she might be scared of you, you know, uh-huh. like, but there's, there was no one really in charge of this. So 
that was the entire seance, but this is what happened afterwards. So the next day, apparently many people reported seeing Harry and he looked, quote, deeply disturbed and almost distraught. He was just fucked up. By, he was like, sure. I think I just literally touched, saw, and spoke to a human, like a like a, a spirit Child in human ghost. form. Yeah. <clears throat> and he ended up, so the entire account is actually a chapter, uh, is a whole chapter in one of his books called 50 Years of Psychical Research, which was from 1939. So um, everything I just told you were paraphrases of that chapter of that book. Um so the rest of this is uh, from Google Google Notes. Um, but so he was, from his account, he was really shocked but upset that it had, he was like, I'm pretty sure I just saw something that blew my mind, but also this wasn't done in a lab. So like, I can't replicate this. Like there was no, I can't, right. like as someone who was a staunch uh, believer in the scientific method, he was like, I really kind of failed myself because something awesome happened, but I didn't do a proper experiment mm -hmm. because I was told I couldn't. Um, and so if you remember from the biographical episode I did on Harry Price, he was known for his publicity sense. Um, yes. And so a lot of people actually didn't like this chapter in the book because they thought Rosalie was just a sensationalist fictional story that he had oh. just to sell more books. Oh, wow. Because a lot of people were like, he pissed off the spiritualists because he claimed to be a skeptic, but then he swore he saw something materialize in front of him. But he also pissed off the skeptics because he was convinced that something happened when it was done outside of a lab. Yeah. And I see. especially like his own lab, like he was known to create the first lab and he didn't even use it. So, yes, I see. So the whole pub, everyone was like, we like, you're kind of going against both of your own beliefs and like, we know that you like attention. So like this could mm, just be not a good look. Yeah. A PR son. Um, but so basically in 1946, he late, this was, so 1946 was like seven or eight years after the seance. Mm -hmm. And he just got like fucking slandered and like attacked all the time about how like the Rosalie case, like was not real or why won't he try to replicate wow. it? Or why won't he like tell more details of it? And he kept saying, like, I told them I wouldn't say anything. Like, I told them I wouldn't mention their names. So he kept getting criticized that, like, he wouldn't go back and reinvestigate or he wouldn't bring it to a lab and do, like, use standard tools and all that. Um, <clears throat> but he did say that, like, he he made one last comment in 1946 where he said that he had kept in touch with the X family until 1940. But then when World War II hit, everyone lost touch. And... This was his final statement he ever made on it. So this is kind of long, but he he remained a, like like a believer, a skeptical believer. But he was like, whatever that was, it was fucking weird. Yeah. Um. So this is his quote from that. Is this a true ghost story? At the time, I was convinced that it was. The next day, I began to wonder if Rosalie was a genuine spirit entity or whether the whole thing was an elaborate hoax. If the latter, then it had been going on for years and no actress on earth could have simulated Madame Z's poignant emotion. And why would they cheat? No one was getting anything out of this, neither money nor publicity nor kudos. And would any sane family fool one another every week for years? Oh, well, <laughs> <laughs> and then he said, and where did the spirit come from? Was there a revolving wall in the drawing room or the tra or a trap door? Um, if so, could it have survived my minute and systematic search of the apartment? 
I suppose that this is possible, but moving floors and sliding walls imply costly, elaborate, and silent machinery to operate, and what could possibly be the motive for such a stupendous fraud? Especially when they were in theory in a lot of debt. They probably couldn't afford that. That's a good point. So... The rest of this is people trying to debunk what the fuck happened. So he never like really got a full answer. No. Oh, so he he made that statement. And two years later, he died of a heart attack. (gasps) Wow. Um, And as promised, he never disclosed the location or the identities. Just how many steps and colors of the windows. (laughs) (laughs) He disclosed a lot, but not what he was told he couldn't. (laughs) Okay, fair. He followed the rules. Um, And I said this again in the first episode about him that when he died, because he had made so many enemies with spiritualists and even some skeptics, a lot of people were out there trying to smear his reputation. Mm. Um, two in particular were a guy named Eric Dingwall and another named Trevor Hall, who ironically were actually collaborators with him in his early days. And then they kind of turned into frenemies. Oh. Um, but so they tried to really just tarnish his fucking vibe, um, <laughs> which is the most <laughs> Don't tarnish my vibe, tarnish my vibe, man. So tarnished uh, vibes only. untarnished vibes only okay there that's better (laughs) so uh let's see so basically they really went after him like pretty wildly so geez um they ended up writing i think if not a a whole paper about it a whole fucking book about how he like this could not be real it was a total publicity stunt uh and he even said well we don't even have any proof that this even happened because all the people that would be able to confirm it he never gave us names or like mr x right (laughs) right that being said though three different people have been quoted talking to harry the morning after the seance and although two of them were close friends one of them was rex and one of them was the secretary there was one member of the spr who were like the people who really didn't like him yeah even one of them vouched being like no i talked to him the next day and he looked really fucked up like wow okay so Eric and Trevor, they also tried to challenge that the house never existed, but there were two different investigations done that tried to debunk where this house was. And so one of them was um, the SPR did their own investigation. And uh, this was led by one of the SPR members named Richard Medhurst. And this is super interesting. So in he was going through all of Harry Price's old archives and he found a copy of one of Harry Price's letter of like the Harry Price letter to Mrs. X two days before the seance, which like at this point, like there was no physical proof that this seance ever existed. And he found the letters between Mrs. X. So interestingly, when he saw the, the actual letter that Harry hid from everyone, the letter was not from a Mrs. X, but a Mrs. Mortimer. Uh Aha. So now we've got a big, a big clue. So, Medhurst breaking the case. We're in the mainframe. So (laughs) why do we always say that? Like we know what that means. I used to say it when. So when I worked at ISS, when I was working in the promos department, um, my boss Renee. Anytime like our computer glitched and like we tried to like like reset the computer or like figure out what our password was, (laughs) every time we figured it out, she'd go, "We're in the mainframe." So that's so funny to me. That's where it started. That's what I say every time I fuck up the the Zoom call and then eventually <laughs> find my way back inside. So, so uh, anyway, so Medhurst knew now that Mrs. X was probably from a family called the Mortimers. So he went through every uh, every house in London that, or he looked in the directories at every house under the name Mortimer in 1937. Whoa. 
that also had a phone because they had apparently called a few times. Oh, good. Smart. So he's looking at all of those houses and he found one in a town called Broccoli. Broccoli? Not, not like oh. the food. It was like like <laughs> like the word Brock and then like Natalie this is Kwame. made up. Okay, got it. <laughs> <laughs> and then Jeff showed up. He was eating broccoli in broccoli. Um but apparently <laughs> so he found this one house and it was at 21 Wickham Road. But he looked into the family details to see if they matched Harry's description. And apparently the daughter was 15 at the time, not 17. And there were two daughters, not one. So some could agree mm-hmm. that the age was just kind of off and they never Maybe mentioned. Maybe the other daughter was the ghost. Right. So uh, so that's one of the theories. Oh. So <laughs> I thought no, no, no. on to something new. <laughs> you are. That was the first time that people had like an explanation to work with. and mm-hmm. And that was their first theory of it of like oh well there could have been a second daughter that was hiding i see but when you think about how like if you read all of harry price's account he was like nobody could have been hiding in that room and nobody could have come in yeah so there's no way that there was another person hiding can you imagine if he was like looking through the house at the beginning to like try to debunk anything and he like opened some closet and there's just like a naked person like oh shit i wasn't supposed to come out yet like, what are you doing like like why do you not have clothes on like why is this part of the thing oh my god can you imagine he would just see a naked person be like is this part of yeah this? like by this is i'm in the wrong room i think so um so again so that was one of the very first theories that came out but then while the SPR was doing their own investigation, some another investigator was kind of doing his own rogue investigation, and his name was David Cohen. And so David Cohen began to research Rosalie on his own for a lecture he was doing, but it ended up turning into this whole book he wrote in the 60s where he went yeah. from being kind of indifferent to Harry Price to being like a, like a staunch, fierce defender of him. Oh, okay. That's so nice. He, so anyway, six months after that book came out, I guess... That book circulated pretty well, and a lot of people read it, and he was getting a lot of mail from you know people who had read it. Six months after the book came out, he got a letter forwarded to him, allegedly from Miss X. Oh, shit. That explained the entire Rosalie thing. And Miss and X is the 17-year-old. The 17-year-old daughter. Got it. So basically, the first sentence of this letter is... Dear Mr. Cohen, I've read your book about Harry Price and his spirit child with interest, and forgive me, for I'm always amused at the various guesses about the Rosalie ghost. But then I am in a rather privileged position being now the only living person who knows the whole truth (gasps) about the seances held in our house 30 years ago. (gasps) And then, so I'm going to try to go through this quickly, because I pretty much, I tried to break down her letter and I try, I tried to make it into bullet points, but I really just couldn't do it justice. So I'm going to read like half a page of a letter. Go for it. I'm excited. Because it all, it answered so many of the yeah, questions. Yeah, yeah. I want to hear it. Okay. I'm going to try to do it quickly. So apparently in this letter, it pretty much, it was the first piece of evidence that kind of explained most things about the sentences. So this Miss X says... It was at this time that I was first brought into the deception. My parents asked me to take part in what they called a ghost game to play as a harmless joke on a that's French what, lady. That's what M told me was the podcast. <laughs> hey, it's just called a ghost game. Don't it's harmless. And I was like, shit, you tricked me. <laughs> like, Here we me. are. Three years so, later. Uh, they ca- so in what they called a ghost game to be played 
as a harmless joke on a French lady. That's so mean. At first, my part in this business was simple. I was to slip into the dark room soon after the others had settled down. And this was before Harry Price. So I see. I was to slip into the dark room soon after the others had already sat down. Take up a position in the corner of the room. Is it Friday? Oh, it's Thursday. I don't know why Allison's screaming. If it were Friday, she like cracked open a bottle of wine or something. <laughs> um, at my sorry, So I was to slip into the dark room soon after others had sat down, take up a position in the corner of the room and answer some questions in a hushed lisp. Oh, I was I was then at a prearranged signal from I was then at a prearranged signal from my mother to slip silently out of the room before the lights were switched on. My mother was at, was to ask certain questions of the spirit commencing with, are you there, Rosalie? And after she had repeated this three or four times, I was to whisper in a childish voice, yes, Rosalie is here. Oh. So we've already learned the mom is at, is at least in on this with her. What a shitty person. If I remember correctly, Madame first visited our home for a sitting about two days after the Crystal Palace fire. The seance went without a hitch, and I waited in the hall after Madame, and my parents had entered the room. And I listened to the radio to be switched off, which was my signal to slip into the room. Oh. The door opened noiselessly at a slight pressure, and I crept into the room and waited. Um, I answered about five or six questions, giving the answers which my father had told me to say. Oh, such as these people? Such as, I'm very, very happy. I play with the other children. They are very kind to me. After some months, my father decided to ask his young brother, Uncle Jim, to help oh, in this ghost game. Oh. So uh, I think the reason for this was that Madame had asked whether Rosalie was the only spirit which had appeared at our seances and what had happened before she ever made an appearance. I see. Father, who was always anxious of Madame's slightest suspicion, said that several other spirits had spoken and would no doubt return when Rosalie became less insistent. So Uncle Jim, on occasions, waited in the hall with me and we took turns entering the room and he spoke in the voice of any person who appealed to his imagination. So so basically, she started getting suspicious because only Rosalie would ever come forward and then the dad was like, we need a, a second plan. And the theory is that if they really were in debt and if she really did have some money, they were hoping that the more Rosalie appeared, the more she would help with their debts. So that's probably why they were doing this is that they were getting money out of her to pay off their debts. That's so fucked up. So that's why they wanted to keep up the facade. So when she got suspicious, they all of a sudden brought his uncle in or brought his brother in, Uncle Jim. So Uncle Jim was like hitting on his 17 year old niece. My father and I had told, hang on, oh. my father, my father had told Madame at a separate time, at a separate time, my father had told Madame that he had a daughter, but had not mentioned my age. Soon after the seances had commenced, Madame asked my father, how old was his daughter? And father, thinking that there might be some suspicious connection in her mind between the spirit child she had been seeing and myself, said I was 16. Unfortunately, Madame had asked why she had never met his teenage daughter and it was finally decided that I must now impersonate my elder self. Oh, come on. This is so fucked. Okay. So we find out later that she was actually 11 during all of this. <gasps> oh, she was really little. She was Oh, 11. so you can't even blame her. I thought she was like 17 the whole time. So she was like well, a child getting roped into this. Well, that's what they were saying. Like, let's play a ghost game. Like, let's do this really well, quick. That is, well, it tricked me. And I was, tw- <laughs> how old was I? 25 or 256? Or I don't know how old I was. So. <laughs> You're going to be 289 <laughs> next week, actually. <laughs> So 
so now they've basically she was getting suspicious again like why haven't i met your 16 year old daughter and they were like oh fuck like we've gotten 11 year olds what are we gonna do so another quote my mother went to work and with the aid of cosmetics a teenage dress a padded bust bodice a new hairdo and high-heeled shoes brought out a fairly convincing transformation. It is true I was a little short for a 16-year-old, but the high-heeled shoes and the hairdo added some inches to my height. My mother was rather frightened that Madame, having seen my face during some of the seances, would recognize (gasps) me as Rosalie. For some months after... I'm almost on, I swear. No, I'm just like riveted right now. (laughs) For some months after this, all went well until one disastrous evening. So basically what's been happening up until this moment was that now they're... Whenever she comes over for the seances, sometimes she'll say hello or um, even invite this 16-year-old daughter into the room, even though she had a different job of being Rosalie. So at different points, she had to like find a way to sneak out. Oh, my God. Um, so for some months, all this went well until one disastrous evening. I had become rather overconfident and ignored my father's instructions. And he had told me that if Madame ever asked the spirit anything about Rosalie's life, I was to either... I was to remain silent. (gasps) I cannot recall the question that Madame asked on that evening, but I foolishly attempted to answer. And of course it was the wrong answer. (gasps) So she was getting cocky pretending to be Rosalie. And then all of a sudden Madame found an inconsistency. Oh no. After that seance, a quarrel broke out between my parents and Madame. After this father offered to have his seance investigated by a trained investigator to prove the legitimacy of these seances and Madame suggested Harry Price because she'd seen him all over the news. Right. So now that's why Harry Price came into the picture because all because he needed to. He was Verify. like, no, 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 don't go. We still need your money. Like, let's prove that this is legitimate. This is and so shitty. For the first time, my father was worried. So my parents, Uncle Jim, and I worked out a procedure. My mother was to telephone Mr. Price, invite him to a seance, and extract from him an assurance of secrecy. Because should Mr. Price publish our names and address it, uh, it would be difficult to avoid further inquiry. I, as the teenage daughter, and Uncle Jim, as my boyfriend, were to also be sitters at this seance. I see. The importance of my being in the room was in case Mr. Price sealed the door. So, like, she couldn't escape and switch through. Go. Th- she couldn't uh, wait until nobody was looking and slip out because they all knew Harry Price would close the door. So now they need a new plan for how she's going to turn into Rosalie while being in the seance room. So the importance of my being in the room was in case Mr. Price sealed the door, which we knew he would. There were two reasons for uncle Jim to be a sitter. One to have an extra helper in the room to cover me in case something happened. And two, he would, as my boyfriend add testimony to my assumed age as a teenager. This is wild. It becomes like a little true crimey. So. Yes, it, I mean this is literally a crime. You're convincing this lady that her dead daughter is like speaking. I mean, this is fucked. So, although Madame had heard Uncle Jim's voice before because he had also spoken during some of the seances, she had never met him in person and therefore could be safely introduced to the group. Because remember, he had wow. stood in the hall and and shouted before, so she had heard him but never seen him. Wow. So this is going to answer some of the um, more interesting questions that we have uncle jim pointed out that if mr price wished to see me it would be impossible to assure that he could only direct light to my face because he might see and recognize the dress i walk in with Mm. my mother said that i could change into quote spirit clothes or other clothes but my father's but my father said that should there be a search of the room any clothes would be impossible Uh to conceal 
it was finally suggested that the spirit should appear in the nude. A okay, 11-year-old child. A suggestion I didn't like, but I eventually agreed. So that's where all of a sudden I take my sharp left turn into like, no, this was absolutely not okay. One million, especially when she's like, I didn't want to do that. Like, right. what the she's, fuck? She's a minor who does not want to be naked, but now she's- In front of grown men and like grown adults or anyone. Yes. Yeah. So that's why I said in the beginning, like, hang on until the end for me to explain because- I see. I don't necessarily want to cast immediate blame to Harry Price because he- if this letter is true, then it's legitimizing that he had no fucking clue. Was what and was that they were like, we know you're about to touch our naked daughter. Like, right. So put if your hand out. Anyone blame the parents because like, they, what the fuck they convinced her. And then remember, if Harry Price's account is accurate, they asked Madame Z like, oh, can Harry reach out and touch your child? But it was their child that was naked. So like they. And then they put they, the blame on her. Like, oh, she said it was okay. Like, what yeah, the fuck? But they knew that he, a grown man was about to touch their naked child. So, Oh, my God. Again, concept warnings all fucking around. Yeah, but this is so twisted. Anyway, so... This is definitely true crime. You're right. It, I mean, come on. Welcome. So, um, anyway, moving on quickly. In the complete darkness, I was able to leave my place. And so this is how she became naked when she, so she walked in with her outfit on that Harry Price had seen her in as a teenager. In the complete darkness, I was able to leave my place in the circle and undress in a corner of the room. So everybody is looking a different way and it's pitch black and she just undressed. While holding the spirit's hands or while Harry was holding the spirit's hands, my mother placed her hands in front of Mr. Price as if she were Rosalie while I returned to my seat in the circle. So basically she... She undressed, then the really awkward thing happened where she was nude, and then when she stepped away, um, her mother put her hands in front of Harry Price as if she were Rosalie while this girl was changing really quickly and going back to her seat. Oh my god! So... When it came to using the mirrors, Mr. Price was asked to start from the feet and work upwards, and this was because when he came... When it came to the light hitting my face, the mirror would be beneath my chin and therefore I would be backlit. Mm. So that makes sense now why he had to start from the feet. Mm -hmm. After the seance, he examined the seals and found them intact. He seemed satisfied that trickery had been impossible and Madame's suspicions had vanished, which was what they wanted. My, my father in 1939 had arranged to take my mother for a holiday and ran into Madame by accident. Um, they went to Paris together or they ended up traveling together to Paris and no member of my family saw Madame again. There is now, I believe no other living person who knows the whole story. The cook is dead and the housemaid married and left England. Yours, yours sincerely, Rosalie. Whew, I'm so Signed sorry. it Rosalie. Signed it Rosalie. So we still don't know who the fuck this person is. Oh, they didn't even say their name. Oh my God. So this caused so much more confusion because it never confirmed an actual name never confirmed mortimer never confirmed like where the house was never confirmed if any of this is true for all we know a random person wrote this like fan fiction so it could not even be real that's true because they i mean they had all the information right from like the book and the the telling of it right and like they're assuming that their procedure was that they would sit in a certain area so harry price would never notice her slipping away but he had control of the seating arrangement and everything so they really just like went off of luck that he wouldn't ask to sit next to her Wow! so and again this could have been written by anyone also like a mom would recognize their child's face even if it were fucking backlit so like people are saying like if this were madame z she would have seen rosalie's face and known but if she saw a random person's face she would have known it wasn't her child that was the spirit so 
Anyway, in the same year that that letter arrived, David Cohen ended up dying. So he couldn't actually investigate this. Oh, my God. And that was back in the 60s. So it ends up being untouched. And in 2007, so decades later, decades later, a guy named Paul Adams decided to take on the investigation. And now with tools like the Internet, it was so much easier to look into the shit. So he found no death records of any. First, he looked up death records of children named Rosalie in 1921 to be Mm -hmm. like, is that even accurate? Like that Rosalie is a baby who died, but there is the argument that, you know, he didn't find any death records of a Rosalie who died in 1921. So the thought then is that Harry Price could have even changed the name of the fucking baby that died. So right. To not give it away. Yeah. So Rosalie could be a pseudonym, but then going back to knowing that their last name might be Mortimer, Mortimer, he looked at over 500 different people named Mortimer that lived in London in 1937, blah, blah, blah. He cross-referenced all the houses. He found two matches out of like 300 houses. He Mm. found two matches that he felt could match the description. One was in a town called Lamberth, but the husband had a different job. There was a brother, not a, or there was a son, not a daughter. And the house was near a bunch of apartment complexes, which was not in the description. So it didn't really match with his description. But then you can argue again that all the descriptions were fake. Right. The other one, which is the most likely-ish is that it was in East Kensington and the house was 28 Cadogan Square. The husband's name was Halliburton Mortimer. Yes, it was. He was a city stockbroker, but not very good at his job. So that implied, <laughs> like that was written in record. So it's implied that maybe he was in debt. Mm-hmm. And in the initial account that Harry Price wrote, the husband was a city stockbroker. Oh, okay. Yeah. So it already makes sense. A city stockbroker in debt. His last name is Mortimer. There was only one wife and one daughter. Yeah. Um, so the wife's name was Dorothy. The daughter's name was Joan. So we think that Rosalie or whoever Miss X yeah. is, is uh, Joan Mortimer. Got it. They also had a son, but he was deployed at the time. So that would make sense why they didn't even mention him while Harry was there. Right. But the family records also show that they had a maid, a cook, and a butler, all of which oh. were mentioned in Harry's account. Yeah. So um, in 1939, apparently Halliburton inherited a bunch of money, which is around the same time that they never talked to Madame Z again. So maybe they didn't need her anymore. I see. Um, But the inconsistency is that the biggest one is that at the time of the seance, Joan was 30, not 11. Oh. And there was also no family records of a man named James or Jim. Um. Rosalie said that she was the only living member, but this family happened to have several members still alive. Also, a lot of the aspects of the home were off. So basically, what Paul did was he found a draft of a will written by Joan and cross-referenced the handwriting to the Rosalie letter. (gasps) And he did get back that there was a likely match. (gasps) But that would mean that Joan was 30 during this. And so the Mortimers couldn't have used her as Rosalie. So that means... So they would have had to have literally brought in a random, like, child to make her nude and then be used in this weird game. Yikes. But then that would also mean that the letter written by this Rosalie, or by this Miss X, isn't I true. Yeah. Because yep, the yep. story wouldn't add up. So something's off, yeah. They also, another theory is that maybe Uncle Jim was actually the butler that Harry never interacted with that night. Or could have been a legitimate boyfriend. Or they he could have been the brother back from the military. Right. Um, but there was no Uncle Jim in this family. Um, death records do suggest I'm I swear to god I'm almost on death no, records. No, you're fine. Death records do suggest that kid of all the kids in the area, there were 14 possible children who could have been Rosalie at the time. 
the best match is like if there was a baby who died, you know, from diphtheria or something at six. Yeah. The best match is one child who did not die of diphtheria, but died of appendicitis and was eight, not six. So Harry could have changed those those parts of the story. Or they could have like told him differently, you know, that too. Also, that's another theory. Um, But what's interesting about that is, let's say that was the child. The um, the mother of that child was also dead, but (gasps) the father so he could have changed the gender and Madame Z could have been Mr. Z. Right. Um, and what's interesting is that child who did die around the same time or at, around at the same age with around the same disease, their father was a city stockbroker that worked with Halliburton. <gasps> so there's a chance that it could have actually been a Mr. Z this whole time <gasps> who was uh, trying to look for Rosalie. Whoa. Assuming that Rosalie really was a spirit who manifested, but if this letter from Miss X is real, then it was never true. So anyway, there. the last thing I'm going to say is that regardless of what the truth was, Harry, uh, Harry, not Potter, Harry Price <laughs> was like very sure that it was at least very likely. And the first person who ever wrote a biography about him was named Dr. Tabori. And this was a quote about Harry Price and the Rosalie Sands. He said, Was he lying? I don't think so. He was not good at inventing tales, and the few pieces of fiction which I had read from him all showed that he was utterly incapable of spinning a convincing plot. Ouch. Ouch. And why should he lie anyway? What possible motive could he have had for risking the reputation of a lifetime? Psychologically and morally, this theory will not hold water. I believe that Harry Price was speaking the truth and that he was both frightened and shaken by the experience. Oh, my God. Which is true to me because, like... If he, he couldn't have gained anything from it because nobody would have like believed it. It would be it. such a waste of time for him to make all that up or like, yeah. Anyway, I know I spoke for literally an hour, but. Oh my God. That was crazy. That is the story of the Rosalie Sands. And we still have no idea. Like it, That's because, the wildest part. Because there's so many missing pieces. And even of the pieces we have, they could have been embellished or, or like changed. Because right, like if one to- thing's off, then it could throw off the whole spiel. We'll never know, but I can assume that at least, even if that letter from Miss X was from a random person and not yeah. accurate, it at least sounds like someone was able to get most of, like, like was at least able to find explanations for a lot of the stuff. So something along that might have happened. I really wow. hope nobody was sexually assaulted. Um, wow. But I also, who who knows? So... This is a crazy story. Like, even if part of it's not true or it's exaggerated or whatever, like, holy shit. It really quickly became a true crime. Yes, I was going to say, even if it's, like, completely bunk, like, not paranormal, like, it's still so fucked up. Yeah. And to that poor mother being like, oh, yeah, no, come back. Your daughter wants to see you again. It's like, what the hell? Right. Anyway. Sick. I'm so sorry that was so long. I know you have no story to cover, but it like that one really fucked me up. And I was doing it at like two in the morning and I was like, what is going this is on great. here? Like I had never <laughs> heard of this before. That was insane, dude. Anyway, <sighs> thank you for riding that ride with me. I always do. I always will. And I always love it. If you happen uh, to be Rosalie, let me know. <laughs> <laughs> if you happen to be like a hundred and whatever. Yeah. <laughs> okay well i have another true crime tale for you today maybe that one turns into a paranormal story actually that would be very fun little twist wouldn't it full circle closure i don't think i'm gonna i think instead of a circle (laughs) 
god. I'm sorry. Wait, um, look. Okay, if you're watching this on YouTube. <laughs> oh no. <laughs> what did I do? Look. I don't know. Do you just hold it now? <laughs> Oh my god. You guys, I'm sorry. I don't know what happened. All of a sudden the microphone just launched off of the side of the desk. It was it's like spring loaded. <laughs> She's probably like, stop making fun of me. Um <laughs> it was like spring loaded the arm and I guess it got un It was undone. too springy. It was too ready. It was very springy. I guess I hold it. Oh god, this is so awkward. Hold on. Okay. Let's just hope this stays. Let's hope this stays long enough. Can you hear me properly? Oh, I certainly can. <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> We have someone helping us with our recording. He and he's on mute. He probably just glanced over and just saw me like <laughs> flailing around with my mic. I like to think that to, to him we look like uh like we're in an escape room, being like, "I need a clue. I need, I need help." <laughs> yeah, yeah, hitting like the panic button. <laughs> oh my god, I'm so sorry, everyone. I hope that sound wasn't. Just oh, he's literally horrendous. laughing at us. Look, you, oh. <laughs> he popped off the camera just to like laugh at us. <laughs> My goal, my hope was that he had just happened to go to the bathroom at that one moment and missed the whole thing, but no such luck, I suppose. Um, anyway, sorry, everyone. And um, sorry, Rosalie. I will never make fun of you again. Um, I do now have a true crime tale for you, Em. Um, and what I was going to say is that I don't think I'm going to end up going full circle. Um, and I was going to make a joke about a rhombus, but now it's just not even funny anymore, so... You can just uh, pretend. You can make a full rhombus out of it, though, if you're not going to go full circle. That's what I was going to say. And then my microphone smacked me in the face. So I just was like, maybe that was a sign for me. It was literally <laughs> your guardian angels being like, don't be so fucking stupid. And then I do it anyway. <laughs> <laughs> they, they know better. They're like, that's not going to stop her. Um, okay. Well, this is the story. I'm very excited about this one. So this is the story of Shelly Notech or Michelle Notech. Okay. And um, this takes place in Raymond, Washington. And uh, I'm just going to jump into it. So it, it takes place like in the 80s, but okay. Shelly herself. So I'll start with like a little background on her. She was born in 1954 um, and her mother abandoned her and her brother when in 1960 when she was little and she was about six years old and her mother was then murdered by a, <gasps> a boyfriend. Oh, yeah. Pretty fucked up. Um, start. We're really diving in. Okay. Really diving in. And she was only six years old. So like this is just not a good start to her childhood. Um, relatives believed Shelly blamed her father for her biological mother's death because he was the one who divorced her and a boyfriend killed her mother, if that makes sense. So like sort of like, uh, her mom, her mom and dad divorced and then her mom started dating a guy who murdered her. So okay. she blamed her father for like divorcing her mom and, and basically was like, if you hadn't split up with her, then she wouldn't have dated this guy who turned out gotcha. to be okay. really violent. So it was kind of just like, she had a really misguided um anger i guess when she was little and uh her aunt would later describe her during this time period and remember she's six years old so her aunt described her during this time period as volatile uncontrollable and it just got increasingly worse as she got older so she became more angry more violent and um more out of exactly like more out of control so in 1975 excuse me I'm like out of breath from like launching my microphone all over the room. Oh my God. Okay. So in 1975, uh, Shelly marries her high school sweetheart and they have a daughter named Nikki. Then they get divorced and she marries another man and has another daughter named Sammy and they also divorce. And at this point she starts working with the elderly and she's kind of like working with um, cases and she works in the home healthcare field. So she's working with a lot of sick elderly people 
And during this time in the mid uh, sorry, mid eighties, uh, Shelley meets a man named David Notek, and they marry. So David, her new husband, was a Vietnam vet. He was on the rebound from a really devastating breakup when they met. And he was t- described as like being nice and quiet, but like well-liked in the town. Um, and this is, again, in Raymond, Washington. It's a pretty small town. And he had grown up there. And so he was actually really well-liked. And he was kind of chill and quiet. And the two of them uh, bought an isolated farmhouse out on a rural piece of property. And their goal was to like restore this farmhouse with their children, like his stepchildren, and all was well. Mm-hmm. Not really. Okay. I don't believe it. <laughs> so Shelly decided she was sort of like the head of the household. She Every time David got a paycheck, she would take them. So she was like in control of his money. And then she would give him a small allowance, which, I mean, we've seen a mm-hmm. lot in like abuse cases where people sure. start by just controlling the other person's <laughs> life in like really explicit ways. Well, one, yeah. One of the first signs is financial. Uh, yes. Financial control. Yeah, yeah. And like making them dependent on you in a way. And so even though he was the only one with a job, she would control his money. Um, And so she worked part time uh, eventually, like sometimes she would take on little jobs, but she mostly just um, was a homemaker. And once they got married, a lot of uh, friends and family of David's uh, described him as becoming really exhausted and depressed. Uh, So not a good sign of their marriage. Yikes. Okay. And things just got worse. Well, um, they I can't imagine that they get better. surprise as Emma Kel surprise <laughs> Went full rhombus. <laughs> uh, I, it's noodles all the way to the top. I, I went full rhombus on you. You didn't even see it coming. Goose camp. We should, going? Goose camp. we should do a show. Live, love, lemon. We should do a fucking show where we just are like speaking our stupid isms and it doesn't make any goddamn sense. I feel like someone's grandfather has had to listen in on like five <laughs> seconds of this and was like, what is going on? Exactly five seconds because after five, he was like, turn the shit off. He's like, I'll disown you. Go away. <laughs> <laughs> What's a live, laugh, lemon? I, I know. <laughs> uh, um, so... At this point, Shelly convinces David. So she's like really micromanaging his whole life at this point. At this point, she convinces him that he needs to discipline her daughters the same way she does. Mm. And the discipline includes severe beatings as well as withholding food. I'm not going to sit here and pretend like I'm surprised. Yeah. But I really wish that wasn't the direction we went. Yes. Unfortunately, it was. And I, you probably knew it, but we always hope it won't go that way. And it always does. So it's always a fingers crossed moment. And exactly it's just, on a show called and that's why we drink. We're just never right. No, not usually. No. Um, so sad. So they start. So David is kind of now in with this in on this with her, basically, like they're both abusing the children at this point. And um, during this time, Sammy and Nikki, so the two daughters, describe the psychological and physical torture uh, uh, as the following. So her their mother would hide their homework or would tear out pages so that she could, like, convince them or would, like, punish them for not doing their homework, which is just, like, such supreme gaslighting. Holy shit. Like, she would literally just hide the homework and be like, you didn't do it, and then, like, beat them for it. Like, it was so twisted. Um, so she could wow. punish them for like not doing the work, but she's the one who ripped them out and hid them. Like, it's just, ugh. so like, that's like, I mean, I know this like does not count as like the worst part of that story, but like on top of it, like, even if they were good students, they're like exactly anti praised for doing one thing. Right. No, that's exactly it. Cause it's like, even if they try so hard to like do things 
the right the right way even if like they're they shitty kids like even if they were shitty kids in the eyes of their parents like they still couldn't even be good students or like even like i mean that's affecting their school life because the teachers are going to be like where's your oh, work yeah. and it's like, like I what are they God, I'm oh doing- my mom tore it up like that's Less yeah, likely no than dog ate my homework. <laughs> right, exactly. Yeah, it's it's, it's really like doing twisted. doing the most impossibly the most unrealistic thing, so nobody will even believe them. Yes. They go out for help. Yes, which is like creepy ultimate gaslighting. Of like, <sighs> no, I, why would anyone do that? It's like, right. yeah, nobody knows why you would do that. Oh my god. Um, and I'll also add here that like in the in the TV shows about this case, the daughters are typically referred to as with different names because they mm. were children when this happened. So sure. their names in the shows were Megan, Dana and Whitney and Leslie, Dana and Whitney. Um, and they were kept their names were kept out of the early reports. But th- since then, they've done so many like interviews and they had a book written about them. And so that's how we kind of know their their real names, which is why I'm using their real names in this case. Wow. So okay. in addition to the homework thing, um, her, their mom would regulate when they could use the bathroom and they would receive severe beatings if they went without permission. They would be, I will also say like, this is a very uh, brutal case. I mean, I, it's, it's just really, f- well, I mean, it's, I guess you've already noticed that everybody, so yeah. probably don't need to tell you that, but yeah. Also water's wet. Got it. <laughs> also, <laughs> also there's crime in this and it's true. Right. Okay. Um, they also were locked in closets. Uh, they were subjected to this thing called wallowing, where Shelly would wake the girls up early on really cold mornings, force them outside to roll around in the, mu- in the mud while she sprayed them with a hose. Um, so, and- like, extreme physical abuse, too. Of, yes. Like, like, regulating their temperatures. Like, yes. yes. Unregulating like, them. Unregulating <laughs> You're them. You're regulating yes. them. Yes. And, like, starving them, et cetera. Like, controlling their bathroom habits um and then after i mean classic abuse after the incidents she would shower them with affection and gifts and like win them back over and then you know obviously like jekyll and hyde turning in um so in the late 80s shelly's nephew whose name was shane watson came to live with the family and shane also had had a rough early life Um, his mother had struggled with addiction was in and out of jail and his father who was shelly's brother was in a biker gang and he was also in and out of jail so he didn't really have a stable home life but he was described as the sweetest young man, tender and an all around good kid. And Shane had been living with his grandparents. But at this point, Shelly was like, you know what? You need a regular, normal home life. We can provide that for you. Bullshit. And right. you can come live at our place. And he was like, great. So he came and lived with them. And at first, like uh, Shelly and David treated him really well. He was like a new member of the family. But right. Yeah, exactly. Stepping, stepping or treading lightly at first. Treading lightly. And then pretty quickly, uh, it turned into the same abuse that they subjected the, the girls to. And Nikki says, um, one of the daughters says that Shelly forced her and Shane to slow dance naked in the living room when she was 13. So this is her cousin. Um, and Whoa. Shane started to hate Shelly for obvious reasons. Um, yeah. But they're all just terrified of her so there's like not really much they can do she's like controlling the whole household so now it's also like not even disregarding how like that's like 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 physical like teetering on also sexual assault and that they're naked and shit but it's also the broader scope of that situation alone is just mental torture because they're yes she's just forcing them into these things that they don't want to do exactly and they're like living in total fear of her (sighs) Um, and then she would right like do the do the like sweet act and win the back over and then just turn again and become violent um so just really bad situation um so at this point shane's still living there 
And Shelly meets a woman named Kathy Loreno. And Kathy is this like really sweet, friendly, and super shy hairdresser from the nearby town of South Bend, Washington. And she befriends this woman, Kathy. And Kathy was originally from Southern California. But her father and stepfather had both tragically died and her mother had moved them to South Bend, Washington for the low cost of living. And it's there that she became a hairdresser. And she was promoted to managing a chain of hair salons, but I guess she wasn't very good at upselling products. And so she lost her job and eventually lost her apartment um, because she really struggled with work, with maintaining her work. And uh, she moved back in with her mother at first, but they would argue a lot about her boyfriend. And so eventually in 1989, when Kathy was 36, she left her mother's house and moved in with the Notex as a live-in nanny. So okay. I know Mich- Michelle or Shelly was like, oh, I know you and your mom are having issues. So why don't you come live with us? You can work as a nanny since you're st- and you'll, you'll get, you know, room and board, basically. And, and how old is this nanny? 36. Okay. Okay. So she's 36 and she she knows Shelly well and they're friends. So she's like, sure, I'll come work. And Shelly had had Shelly and David had just had another child. So they had a baby. Oh I know. God. I know. It's, it's just like mm. builds and builds and builds. Um, and so there was a newborn in the family now named Tori. And so uh, Kathy moved in basically and was like, OK, I'm going to be the nanny in exchange for room and board and take care of this baby. And by this point, um, Shelly and David are treating Kathy like family. You know, obviously, they're like, welcome to our home. You're part of the family, yada, yada. Same old story. And pretty quickly, according to Sammy and Nikki, abuse toward Kathy starts to escalate as well. Um, So David and Shelly both beat her mercilessly. Um, Apparently, like, David would (laughs) – the the kids said David would get really annoyed with her and punch her in the face. And I'm like, that is not how you (laughs) – no, no, the nanny. <laughs> Sorry. Oh, I mean, that's so bad. But like, oh, <laughs> yes. my God. oh, my God. Not the baby. No, no, the nanny. That's still terrible. Yeah. So they treat her like family and then they start beating her. Um, And he would just get frustrated with her and just punch her in the face. And it's like, okay. Um, so Kathy- remind me again what her, what was her, how bad was her relationship with her mom? Like, could she not leave at this point? Or So it got to, it was one of those things <clears throat> where they would just like mentally, they would, they, they would. Just- treat them so well and be like oh you're part of the family you're part of the family and then it would just like slowly escalate to they the point where they gradually were trapped her in exactly like okay. she ended up being pretty much stuck and it, it gets worse to the point where like it, yeah there was no way to get out of it unfortunately gotcha. um, i didn't know if she like i know eventually like at some point like when it comes to abuse you just can't leave like, right so what people think is possible i don't know if it was it happened early on enough that she like yeah i think that was the exact leave. i think that was the exact thing because with shane too like at first they just were so loving and you know kind and would like enfold them into the family yeah it happened super gradual gradual at first and then it's it's like so it. yeah it's it's like so smooth on their Ugh. part of like oh they'll you know you just don't see it coming and then suddenly it's just so bad that you're like trapped yeah yeah. So in addition to beating her, um, they forced Kathy to do household chores naked. Um, I can't, hey, hey, when does it get better? <laughs> when does it stop getting worse? Never. At the wait. end of the rhombus. Just wait. <laughs> <laughs> I'm taking you through the many turns of the rhombus about which side. I know how many sides it has. So don't worry about it. Four, four sharp left four. turns, and they're all worse than the other. <laughs> and then we end up in the same very shitty place, the same <laughs> shitty corner that right. we started in. <laughs> so Sammy, the daughter, one time her friend was over and saw Kathy locked outside with no clothes on. 
And Shelly was like, oh, she just had an incident with the hot tub. But Sammy was like, no, she always got – they would lock her out naked and just like force her to like wait outside without clothes on um, until they would let her back in. They also uh, locked Kathy in a pump house on the property or like one time they – this is bad. One time they um, put her in the bottom of an abandoned well and waterboarded her, just poured water onto her to torture her. Um, they, this is probably one of the s- sickest ones. So just a heads up. Um, they would deprive Kathy of food until she was starving and then they would feed her rotting food with maggots in it. And then they would watch her eat every bite of it. Wow. Yeah. That one's just like extra. Cause to wow. even, to even have the mental capacity to come up with something like that and execute it, like what the fuck is going on in your head? I mean, Holy I just, and the I fact mean, that you're. The- I mean, it's you're it's not not at all excusing any form of abuse, but like you expect things like getting physically hurt, like physically beaten or something like that. But and a lot of abusive people will argue like, oh, I couldn't control myself. But that's like a whole other level of like you're intentionally trying to yeah. create ways to really make someone incredibly yes. fucking miserable. No, you're right. And like to to entertain yourself almost. It's not even just like that you're angry at them. It's like, oh, but you also just get – you derive pleasure out of it and you are being creative and coming up with like new twisted ways. It's like a fucked up art for you or something. Yeah, yeah. To like try to make it as enjoyable for you and as miserable for them. Yes, exactly. And it it, – trust me, it just gets worse. Um, So it doesn't sound like it can, but it does. (laughs) I don't – believe it but okay continue <laughs> I, know, I know so um shelly and david was, would also verbally degrade kathy and then every time she tried to escape they would drug her with tranquilizers and like basically continue to starve her so it was just one of those like lose-lose situations where even if she tried to get out she'd be punished um and this is also just a really bad shelly would force her own children to beat kathy <gasps> um so that's another form of abuse toward the children of like right Right. You need to I'm abusing you. You need to abuse her. I mean, it's just like fucking horrid. Um yeah. well it's more it's more mental torture for yes. both parties because now you're making them turn against each other when they're all going through the same thing. Yes, yes, exactly. And like this is a, an adult, a member of the family, quote unquote, and now you're convincing your children they have or forcing your children to hit her. Um they also she also convinced the kids or forced the kids to stab her with scissors and kick her with steel toed boots. This sounds a lot like um excuse me, Sylvia Likens, when the mom would, like, convince the other kids to play yeah. along, you know? And, like, yeah, there's just that argument of, like, well, you know, they're children. Like, this isn't their fault. They're also being abused. Yeah, like, you like <sighs> you can't be mad at them, but also, like, holy shit, like, this poor person's being stabbed with scissors, but also right. like, a different person who's being forced to do this. Exactly, exactly. It's holy just so crap. twisted. Okay. Um, a forensic psychologist later said this was a form of manipulation and control over the children, and they, the psychologist believed that this was a form of manipulating them into believing they were partially culpable, and so they would never tell because they were right. convinced they were part of the problem. And if they told, like, oh, well, I stabbed her with scissors, so I'm right. going to jail or whatever. It They're all of a sudden, you could very easily trick them into believing like oh you're not the victim like you yes you, you're a perpetrator of this you earned part of this and you deserve guilt and like, exactly and oof. it seemed to have worked um they were all just stuck in this situation for a really long time um so at this point kathy has been so malnourished that she loses 100 pounds like she loses a full 100 pounds because she's so starved 
Um, and she has received so many injuries to her head that she can't maintain balance anymore and like literally can't even stand properly. Like permanent severe vertigo. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah, exactly. Like her balance has been impaired permanently. Oh, my and God. And then to top it all off in 1994, Kathy succumbs to the abuse and she dies and she dies while locked in the Notex laundry room. This is really fucked up, but I'm surprised she lasts that long. Like, I know. Like, I I wouldn't have been shocked if she died months, months, months earlier. Yeah, this was five years. That <sighs> oh, my God. Um, and wow. Nick and Nikki, uh, one of the daughters says she and Shane, uh, so her cousin saw David, the father trying to resuscitate her in the laundry room. Um, and then after David left the laundry room, Shane apparently took Polaroid photos of Kathy's body. And it's believed that Shane was intending to get photos of the body and use them to show police to help himself and the kids escape okay. from the abuse as like proof. You know what I mean? So at some point, and I mean, I don't think someone can just turn evil, but I'm I'm assuming that the entire time this was happening, David and the kids all felt remorse and like, like they, or did any of them kind of, I don't know. I mean, like being okay with this like behavior. Well, I mean, David started beating the daughters right away. I mean, you know what I mean? Like they started getting, right. They got married and he, she apparently quote unquote convinced him to start disciplining the children the way she did, which was through you know, physical and mental torture. So, you know, he was in on this from the beginning. And obviously, I think the children, I don't know. I mean, they were not implicit at all. So I'm not really sure what their... Um, I don't know if their, like, behavior changed and they started, like, showing signs of, like, whatever their their mom had taught them or anything. But, okay, so they are, they're all still, like, super guilty and feeling horrible about this, too. I don't know. I mean, I don't think... So. I mean, maybe the daughters, but the dad has been, like, implicit in this the whole time. And I think... Okay. As much as he tried to resuscitate her, it was probably like, we don't want a dead body in our house and we don't want to be a right. okay. murder. That checks out. And I know if Shane, the kids ever I know if the kids ever interviewed later being like or you said that they stayed out of interviews, right? Oh, no, no, that's why we have their names because they did they've done so many interviews and they they wrote a book oh, about okay. this. And so that's how we know their names. Um okay. but so Shane is like the cousin and he has been stuck in this as well. He's the one that moved in when his parents went to jail. And um, he's so they think he took photos of um, Kathy as like a as proof to bring right. to the police to like escape. Sorry, I got mixed up there first. No, no, it's very confusing. There's like a lot of people involved here and just a lot of backwards shit. Um, but so Shelly t- at this point takes the kids to a hotel for a few days to kind of like get away from the house. And meanwhile, David burns Kathy's body in the backyard over the course of several days before disposing of the ashes at nearby beaches. And Shelly and David tell the kids that Kathy is dead. And if they tell anyone, they'll kill all the kids and themselves before going to prison. So if anyone asks, they need to tell them that Kathy left with a new boyfriend. And she also reminds the children again that they assisted in Kathy's abuse. So this is partly their fault, which it was not. But, you know, besides the point. Right. So Nikki and Sammy say at this point that the atmosphere in the house over the next six months um, reached a boiling point. Kathy's family reported her missing. Shelly was asked about Kathy's disappearance and told authorities that Kathy had met a trucker and moved to Hawaii. And she produces a photo of Kathy standing in front of a semi with a man. So she's like, no, here they are. And it's still not clear where the hell she got this photo. Um, Interesting. But she had one. 
And so at this point, the missing person investigation stalls because also, you know, Kathy's an adult and it's just really hard to prove that someone's like missing if they went willingly. They're an adult and they're allowed to do that. Um, so the the investigation stalls. But the Kathy's family, the Loreno family, had hired a PI who believed that Kathy had died at the Notex, but they couldn't get enough evidence um, to go to the police. And uh, sadly, but, you know, expectedly, the abuse that had been directed at Kathy is now basically back at Nikki, Sammy, and Shane. So they're back, like, in the target zone, if you yeah, will. Yeah, right. But Shane is now getting older, bigger, stronger, harder to control. And while Nikki is being beaten one day, uh, she accidentally lets it slip to Shelly that Shane had taken these Polaroids of Kathy. <sighs> and so, because she hadn't known that. So Nikki had seen this, but uh, Shelly, the mom, had not seen this. So in February of 95, Shelly takes the girls to another nearby hotel, but this time Shane is not with them. And Shelly tells Sammy, Nikki, and Tori that Shane went to go live in Alaska because he got a job on a fishing boat. Bullshit. And, yeah. And the girls later say um, they were just so desperate to believe he was okay that they went with it because they were just like, they couldn't wrap their head around the fact that anything right, like, I don't want to know. Happen. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So they just basically believed this story at first. But in reality, unfortunately, he did not go get a job in Alaska. In reality, David had shot Shane in the woodshed and was burning his body to dispose of it just like he did with Kathy's because he and Shelly believed that Shane knew too much and had the evidence to tell police and that they would be, you know, in, in trouble if he if he went to the authorities. Right. And he and the kids, they, like, hadn't normalized any of this. They, like, knew it was fucked up. So, like, they were definitely yeah. Okay. Yeah, at least yeah. at least he did. He wasn't, you know, he wasn't actually one of their children and he was older. So I think he was more in a position to like, I wonder get why out. he hadn't. Is there do they know why he hadn't gone to the police yet about it? Or he was just holding? Well, I think they or? were just really, really um, controlled. Like, I just don't think there would have been maybe an opportunity for him to sneakily go to the police, if that gotcha. makes sense. I he think like, he was probably waiting for his moment or something like it that. It just never came. Yeah, and I think, okay. I mean, I'm pretty sure this happened pretty, this was like less, this was, I think, a matter of months. So this wasn't like okay. a long Like he wasn't holding on to them for years. And- right, exactly. Gotcha. This was pretty quickly afterward that um, they decided he, he was too in the know to keep alive. Gotcha. So, oh boy. So Shelly tells Shane's school, because he's still in school, she tells Shane's school that he has run away and she reports him as a runaway to police. And she follows up shortly after. I just love how she's so involved. Like, oh, I have more information for you. Um, I actually heard from Shane, she says, and he's fine up in Alaska. Don't worry. And police at this point, like, pretty much believed her because apparently they're in Washington and a lot of young men, like, in their teen years, like, or their late teen years go up to um, Uh. Alaska to work. And so it wasn't like that out of the ordinary that her nephew who lived with them temporarily went and got a job. I'd like to think that they would have been suspicious since there was already a missing persons case within a few months. Yeah. Yeah. Connected (laughs) to them. That's, that's a very good point. Um, Yeah. So for, I mean, you're right. And one's in Alaska and one's in Hawaii. How, how convenient. Right. (laughs) Um, That's a very good point. I, I, that's a little strange. But in 1996, so this is the year after, Nikki actually runs away and she goes into hiding. 
And Sammy follows shortly after. And so now it's only Tori, who's the youngest at home. So Shelly, at this point, I just, I don't even know. I keep saying at this point, because I'm like, I don't even know how to like go from point to point, because it's just, just so absurd how this escalates into weird directions. But at this point, Shelly tells everyone she has cancer. She does not. And she shaves off all her hair and eyebrows. And she and David just invent this whole storyline that she has cancer. And he knows she doesn't either. But this is just another one of their weird uh, tactics. Like, I don't know if they're just getting attention or, like, sympathy or maybe trying to misdirect from, like, the criminal angle. I don't don't really know. Mm. But it's just another weird thing they tried to pull off. And so 1999, this is about three years after Nikki runs away. Um, David is away most of the week and the two eldest girls were gone. So Shelly decides to take in a boarder to live with her at the house. And his name is Ron Woodworth and he's 57 years old. He's also a Vietnam vet down on his luck, kind of like Kathy who needed a place to live. Like she was being so generous and letting him stay with her, quote unquote. Um, and he had just moved to Washington from California. He didn't have any contacts in the area. Convenient. He had recently been fired, had just broken up with his long-term boyfriend, and acquaintances of Ron's believe he had also started displaying signs of mental illness around this time. So he was like a perfect storm for Shelly to kind of victimize, basically. Sure, take advantage of. Mm-hmm. So Shelly abuses Ron in a similar manner to Kathy. She would make him do yard robe, oh, sorry, yard work in a robe and underwear, barefoot, and would then make him jump off of things into the gravel and bare feet to, like, cut up his feet. So he and couldn't then, run? Well, and then she would pour boiling water and bleach over his injuries, honestly. I so, feel yeah. like 20 instances ago you said, this is the worst thing you'll hear. I <laughs> no, I said it's it just gets worse. worse. Oh, my God. And you said, I don't believe you. And I went, okay. <laughs> it was like, okay, well, let's see. Yeah. So, I mean, and I mean, you might, right, like you think, oh, so he can't run away. That's a lot. I mean, twisted and fucked up, but logical. But no, she just like wants to hurt people and entertain herself. Like there's not even sort of rhyme or reason to what she's doing. She just wants to like humiliate people and hurt them. And so, yeah, she would pour boiling water and bleach over his feet when they were really injured. And it, I know I said the word skin slippage last time, but, but you're it's gonna some, again. It's something similar. They said like <laughs> to to slough off his skin or something. The injuries, yeah, on his feet. It, yeah, rough. Um, so just really deeply abusing this man as well. And in the summer of 2001, so this is a couple years later, Nikki goes to the Pacific County Sheriff's Department. She's been hiding for six years and is now in her 20s, and she. She goes to the police station, but she's still terrified of Shelly finding out that she's talking to the police. And so she refuses to be recorded. She tells investigators everything she knows about the abuse, Kathy's death, and Shane's disappearance. So investigators go to question Shelly and try to talk to Ron, the boarder, to see, like, what's going on here. But they have a really difficult time of getting a hold of Shelly. And when they do, she's like, no, 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 look at these postcards. They're from Kathy. They're from all around the country. She's having a great time. And she sticks to her story about Shane in Alaska. And she has this photo of Kathy by a semi with a man. And so she's just like talking, talking her way out of this situation. And then Ron, the boarder, he refused to speak with the police. And so they're like, well, there's really nothing we can do. Like there's no proof here. You know, nothing. She didn't slip up in any way. 
And Tori, I assume, is also like a massive focal point of the abuse because there are no other children. You know, there really isn't much that that I read about what was happening to Tori at this point. I think a lot of it was directed at this man, Ron. Mm -hmm. Um, And I mean, I'm sure I mean, there's no way that she's suddenly treating this third child as like. Right. It's probably happening. (laughs) Yeah, I I imagine it probably did. Um, I don't know too much about it. And since Nikki and Sammy were the ones who kind of wrote the book and told the story, I I don't, I know more about their situation than Tori's, but yeah, that's a good point. I I mean, I'm sure she was also not in a great place, especially. She was still unsafe. I'm pretty sure. Yes. With that money. One million percent. Um, so investigators are like, sorry, we can't really do anything at this point, but we'd like to get your statement on record. Um, but Nikki disappears in fear and the case stalls again. So the year after that, 2002, Shelly starts work as a home health care worker for an 81-year-old man named James McClintock. And he suddenly dies of blunt head force trauma. But get this, apparently he had been known for falling out of his scooter and had actually once required 79 emergency calls in one year for falling out of his scooter. So it was just really easy for her to be like, he fell again. And this time his head injury was so bad that he didn't survive. So there was just no question about like, oh, he was, you know, really old and he had injured himself so many times. Right. That one was so easy to cover Mm -hmm. up. Exactly. And this is why. Okay. This is wild. McClintock willed $8,800 to Shelly because she was like his caretaker, basically. And And he willed the house to his dog, Sissy. And upon Sissy's death, Shelly would also get the house. So she five killed months, the dog. Did she five kill months the- later, Shelly reports Sissy's death. <laughs> and <laughs> I told you, got words. And this is nervous laughter. Like I'm always says, I'm not laughing at the situation. Oh it's no, it's so just beyond like, my comprehension. <laughs> it's like your brain cannot process it. So yes. it's like all you can do is laugh. Precisely. I'm like, I don't even know how I'm telling you all this. It's just so twisted. Um, right. So she reports Sissy's death, which means she gets the house and she sells it for $140,000. So in 2003, Shelly calls David home from work saying, oh, my gosh, Ron, the border, has taken his own life and he has died by suicide. You need to come home right now. So she had actually been storing Ron's malnourished, battered and dead body in the basement fridge. And unfortunately... David was not able to burn the body like usual because there was currently a no burn order in the area, probably because of, you know, wildfires, that kind of thing. So he couldn't just go out back and burn the body. Um, So at this point, it's just in the freezer or the fridge, I guess. So Nikki and Sammy, 2003, they come out of hiding and they go on the record. And at this point, they basically say, hey, we're scared for Tori, our little sister. She's now 14 years old. And um, she had told Nikki and Sammy that Ron had disappeared and had gone to California. And that's when they were like, "Uh oh, like Tori's in more danger now than ever. They're like, it's still fucking happening. Yes, it's exactly like it's happening all over again. And now she has this 14 year old home alone. So they come out of hiding and they finally want to go on the record to say what they know about their mom. And so the sheriffs go to remove Tori from the house. And according to investigators, Tori's relieved to be taken away from the house but i was also like just petrified of her mother so and sure. you're right it was probably an abusive household for her as well i can't imagine otherwise um, it's like i feel for her and that she's like probably excited to go but also like 
saying she doesn't want to because she's like so scared. Yeah. No, you're right. Mom. Like you don't want to piss off exactly like even when they were in hiding and went to the police, they're like, they're still scared that she'll find out that Or like she'll punish them later or like yeah. just like tell them that they they she might say, like, I know you were saying things you, about me to the police, right. even though she, like, probably m- or, like, wasn't. Or, like, their sister in punishment yeah. or whatever it may be. Exactly. So, like, Corey's clearly still terrified of her mother, just like the older two are. And um, the sheriffs are unable to check. So, they have, like, this separate, it's called a pole house. And I guess it's just, like, a, like a I don't know, like a shed or something on, on stilts or on poles. Okay. Um so the sheriffs are unable to check the pole house at the time and they had because they had no warrant. And so they were just there to remove Tori. And the following day, um, David goes to the sheriff's office at Shelley's behest to get Tori. So she's like, David, you need to go back. You need to go to the police station and get our daughter back. And so David's like, OK, so he goes to the police station. And while he's there, the police are like, OK, well, since you're here, let's chat about all the shit your daughters are saying to us about your household. And at first, he denies everything, but apparently he was there for five hours, and he eventually basically just let it spill. He said that Kathy once choked on her own vomit after slipping in the shower, but he wouldn't call for help because it would reveal the abuse that was going on in the household. This is just one example of, like, shit, how bad things were. Um, he also explained how he had burned Kathy's body. He says that he shot Shane, but it was in self-defense. Mm-hmm. Um, but he adds that he and Shelly were concerned about him talking about Kathy, which is also why he did it. So he's like, <laughs> he's like, like it's true, but it's not true. Yes, but exactly. There's like opposite statements, whatever. Yeah. It's self-defense, but also I was scared he would tell me, tell on me. Okay. Right. <laughs> so he also says he burned Shane's body and disposed of the ashes on Long Beach. And he tells investigators that Shelly told him Rhonda died by suicide and reveals that the body is on the property so the Pacific Coast Sheriffs arrest David and get a search warrant for the no-tech property. They can finally do that. And the search does recover Ron's body and apparently a burned primate bone in the fire pit, which, like, was not explained to me. And I I don't understand that. Of all things that you've told me so far, that's, like, the least <laughs> ridiculous thing I've heard. I know. That part, I almost just brushed over it. Like, I was, like, trying to find the answer and I was like, but honestly, like, the rest of the story is just so ridiculously fucked up that like this doesn't even scratch the surface yeah so they find a burned primate bone as well um in in the fire pit and um the investigators find bloody clothing that that belongs to ron they find blood stains throughout the house they also find an undeveloped roll of film can you imagine the terror of the the cop the poor police officer who had to like (laughs) get that the rookie who had to go to the film shop and get that yeah, it's developed like, imagine what the hell's gonna be on this thing oh well i'll tell you it showed kathy being forced to crawl around naked on the floor um yeah so they had proof of that now okay. as well hey so Wait. investigators finally find michelle or shelly no tech at a nearby property she owned and they placed her under arrest obviously and get this this is the only like positive uh thing that has happened oh sorry the only p- positive thing that has happened so far, Sissy McClintock's dog is alive. What? <laughs> she didn't kill the dog. Oh my god, the dog made it. Oh, here's Juniper. Oh god. Oh, hi, June. Justice. Oh my Brimbles. gosh. Sorry, Juniper's about to knock my wine over. Juniper. Oh, he's. Do you see his forehead? He climbed in the fireplace the day we got to this house, and of course, he won't come off his forehead. He has sweat Aww. all over him. He's like Simba. 
Yeah, Janie's making his um his Red Zoom Oaks. debut. Yeah. <laughs> uh, okay, honey, you got to get off. He's so. He's so. Well, you want to know why? Because it's four o'clock here, dinner time. Oh. What? No, it's not. It's seven o'clock there. It, you're right. I saw seven and I was like, that must be East Coast time. I was like, what time is it here? Okay, sorry. No, he probably is hungry. I mean, you're definitely right on that. Um, okay, so anyway, the dog is alive. So she had reported it dead, but couldn't bring herself to hurt the dog, which. So there's that- like one little like eye droplet of hope. <laughs> yes, there is a soul. one primate bone worth of empathy in her. <laughs> okay, body. wait a minute. <laughs> <laughs> it finally makes sense. Um, yeah, so I'm just like, I put a million exclamation points next to that because I was like, what? Like, she's abusing her own children and like all I'm these shocked people. a living creature is still a living Truly. creature. And like, her. the fact that he, she reported the dog dead to get the house but didn't kill the dog is just wild to me because that would have been the easiest thing to hide. Yeah. So anyway, I'm I'm very pleased that the dog's alive, obviously, but it's just so backwards that like, because that means she had some sort of empathy you know, so it's like yeah. how you couldn't be a complete, I guess, psychopath. It's like the dullest silver lining. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. Yes. Sad. Um, so anyway, in 2004, the Notex enter into plea agreements. Shelly enters an Alfred plea, which I think I've only talked about like once on the show before. It's basically um, you're at your how do I explain this? You are pleading guilty without admitting that you're responsible. So you're accepting the punishment, but you're still like, I'm not saying I did it. Got it. It's sort of like you can do that to, to uh, prevent a jury, like finding you guilty of, okay, you know, something worse. Um, so if, if you don't think that you're going to get a fair trial, or if you don't think you're going to win the trial or whatever it may be. You can enter an Alfred plea and say, okay, fine. I'll accept the charges of secondary. This is what she did. Second degree murder and second degree manslaughter for Kathy and Ron. She received 22 years, but she never admitted that she was guilty. So okay. it's just a weird like loophole, basically. She's just like saying, I, I embrace what's coming, but yes. I'm not going to say I'm at fault. Yes. I am uh, martyring myself, I guess, uh-huh. for the cause. Uh-huh. And meanwhile, David pleads guilty, so he does, to second-degree murder, and he is sentenced to 15 years in prison. So after all this, she only gets 22 years. Excuse me, 22 years um, for all of the above abuse and crimes. Um, Anyway, so here's kind of the epilogue. So David was actually paroled last year in 2019. And apparently Nikki, Sammy, and Tori have been able to move beyond their abuse, which is just awesome. Like, they really have become awesome cool people they all have successful careers and families they keep in contact with their dad um david they say he without her their mother around he's changed and become just a more loving and caring person that's good so he's part of their family now um and sammy kept in touch with shelly at first in jail but she kept asking for expensive lingerie and money shut up (laughs) so sammy finally realized she was being used and cut her off and stopped mailing her underwear i guess Good. Um, I know it was about time. <laughs> and then in 2017, the the daughters reached out to an author named Greg Olson to tell their story and help ensure that their mother remains in jail for the length of her sentence because they were like, we need this story to like be out right. there so people don't just let her slip and get out of jail. Sure. So then in t- December 2019, so this is like 
a few months ago. Um, this book was published. It's called If You Tell, A Story of Murder, Family Secrets, and the Unbreakable Bond of Sisterhood. And I looked this book up on Amazon and it has like unbelievable reviews and like um, glowing, I don't know, I don't know the right word, like not testimonials, but like praise from other authors. And it it just looks really good. So I am going to hashtag audible that and um, (laughs) listen to that (laughs) as my next book. Um, So in interviews now, the daughters say they are no longer afraid for themselves, but they are afraid for anyone else that their mother comes across and if and when she's ever released from prison. So hopefully this book kind of keeps this story alive so that people realize how dangerous she is. Sure. But Michelle Shelley Notek is set to be released from prison in 2022. Shut up. How is so, she like, not in prison real soon? Fucking life? Right? And she's only 66 years old. So it's just pretty fucked up. And the daughters say she needs to stay there. So yeah. we'll see what happens. She clearly but. doesn't know a, a way to stop. <laughs> yes. She clearly it doesn't, doesn't seem like right. Exactly. So that is the story of Shelly Notek. And um, thank you for listening, everyone. Wow. All right. Well, thank you, Christine. <laughs> Sorry for the chaos. Sorry, my cat smashed the computer and I launched a microphone on the floor and everything, all of the above. Yikes. Well, I I don't know what to say after Just all come to that. our live show, June Just 5th. Come to our live show. Um and that's, that's it. Oh, <laughs> that's... I thought we were doing our exit. <laughs> just be like just we're sorry and sorry. That's <laughs> why we drink. Cheers. Drink a lot. A lot. <laughs> In a fast-paced world, every day brings new challenges and new opportunities. At Strayer University, we know a thing or two about getting and staying ahead of change. For over 130 years, we've been providing students like you with innovative tools and customized support. So you can find your way forward and always keep striving. Visit strayer.edu to learn more. Strayer University is certified to operate in Virginia by CHEV and has many campuses, including at 2121 15th Street North in Arlington, Virginia.